Here in Long Island, New York, you're listening to the Sports Loudmouth. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can call us at 631-672-3108 is the number to call. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including The Loudmouth, which airs every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. All you have to do to check out all our shows is go to www. Dot worldwide sports radio dot com. Hashtag 70 miles per hour, as uh, we all know, Snug likes to take shots at every single person, including banning the beef. Speedy, what's up, man? Well, if Snug dr- drove 70 miles per hour, then uh, he might not be able to listen to the show because he might be uh, getting interrogated by cops. Or Jeff saying, it's the referees. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great show. But, uh, Speedy, before we get into the show... How was your weekend? Did you do anything fun? I know you definitely went to the doctor. I did go to the doctor. Luckily, that was uh, not as complicated as I thought it would be. There I was told a, you that. It was an issue with the uh, the credit card thing. That was the hardest thing to figure out. What do you mean the credit card thing? Yeah, their, their machine. Because what happened is because I have the uh, I have insurance in Connecticut, I couldn't mm. do it here. So I had to pay with the card, the credit card, and they, their machine was broken. So that delayed it for about 20 minutes. But besides that, it was fine. It was nothing super significant, just a mild emphysema and just some throat irritation. You're not Coughing, so that's a good. Thing. I have not coughed much since then. I haven't needed. I think the only day was that Sunday was the only day I needed cough drops since then, which is good. Always good. Remember, you can call us at six three one six seven two thirty one zero eight. At eight thirty, we'll be talking to forever blue shirts writer and air talent Stephen Pappas. He will be joining us for the first time on our network. Uh, thank you to our friend Anthony yes. for giving us uh, a chance to interview another one of his. Credible, crazy guys. So uh, that'll be interesting. At 9.30, we'll be talking to NHL.com deputy managing editor and host of the NHL Draft Class podcast, Adam Kimmelman. Daniel Jones tears his ACL, and he is out for the second half of the season as he left in the second quarter against the Raiders. ESPN reports that the Jets were very interested in trading for Devontae Adams at the trade deadline, but never happened. Maybe in the offseason. Fox Sports' Jay Glazier reports that many players and coaches ripped Josh McDaniels before getting fired. Not surprised. Mets hire Yankees bench coach Carlos Mendoza as their next manager. Uh, because one man decides to opt out of the job as Craig Council leaves the Brewers and signs with his competitor, the Cubs, and gets the largest contract managing position in MLB history. Brian Cashman goes on a tirade <laughs> at reporters 
at this week's GM meetings. Uh, Very interesting story. We will get into that first. The Big Ten says that they could suspend Jim Harbaugh indefinitely if the illegal sign-stealing scandal exists. So we will get into that. And there's more visual proof. It seems like it definitely exists. But now Michigan's trying to rope Ohio State and a couple other teams into it, too. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it gets a little serious, especially when it comes to uh, Jim Harbaugh. I'm not surprised that Jim Harbaugh was crying about something. But just, just ban them both and have it all Pac-12 in Georgia playoffs. I would agree. So why don't we get into it? Because I know everybody couldn't wait for me to get into this whole crazy situation with Brian Cashman. At this year's GM meetings, Brian Cashman said he was uh, tired of holding back on his objections to the way the Yankees were perceived. After being criticized by reporters, Cashman called it bull, that the front office was overly reliant on analytics. Cashman also defended the Yankees' front office, saying, while the Yankees might not be the best in the class at the moment, they were pretty effing good. And I'm proud of our people. Many of the Yankees' employees appreciate that Cashman had a tirade. And that he sees the pressure that fans and reporters are putting on him. Cashman made the decision to extend Aaron Boone for one more season, and the Yankees were 82-80 and last season, their worst record since 1992. Well, Brian Cashman. What could we say about the great Brian Cashman? And a lot of people over the last couple of years have taken shots at me because I have come out there and stuck up for Brian Cashman because I still think he's one of the best GMs in all of professional baseball. But when you sit back and you listen to the excuses over the last three seasons, after the GM meetings, after the winter meetings, of Brian Cashman coming out and saying that we're still spending money, we're still out there trying to put the best team together, and trying to sell the Yankees as a whole after this organization has fallen short year in and year out. You pay Aaron Judge a nine-year, what was it, nine-year extension this past offseason, giving him $360 million and incentives for a guy that couldn't stay healthy except over the last two seasons. And then you... You bring in Giancarlo Staten, you take on a big contract because you thought it was a good deal. The Yankees sat there and made every single excuse that Giancarlo Stanton went healthy. He's an MVP candidate. And then some of these crazy, crazy moves. One of the moves that I vouched for about two years ago, bringing in Frankie Montas. And Frankie Montas pitched how many games for the New York Yankees before his shoulder went on him. But I will tell you this. Frankie Montas will not be a Yankee this coming year. This organization has made mistake after mistake after mistake. And this roster, when it comes to the bullpen, has not sold to me. As a matter of fact, you bring King back. He goes into the bullpen again in the beginning of the season. Then you... Transform, transform him into a starting pitcher all of a sudden. He shows you that he is a good starting pitcher where he should have started before he be, was put in the bullpen. 
made a mistake, and now moving forward, the Yankees are going to have to figure out where this rotation is going. Because to me, going into next season, yes, you have the Cy Young winner, and he, I think he just won the Cy Young. They haven't announced it yet. But, but he, he will. He should. He, he should win. Everybody, every single person that we have interacted with in the offseason – uh, since the baseball offseason started, all of them have told us that they believe Garrett Cole is going to win it. But nevertheless, Garrett Cole can opt out of his contract after next year. They're going to have to either extend him or let him go at the age of 32, 33 years old. Nestor Cortez, they threw out his shoulder. And that has a lot to do with Aaron Boone and his analytics and the Yankees' analytics over the last couple of years not really being precise on how many games he should play and how many innings he should pitch week in and week out. Luis Saverino, absolute bust ever since he tore his UCL and then tore his shoulder and then this and that. He's been out for how long? Two, two and a half years. He comes back. The guy hasn't pitched the same since he, they gave him the extension before he was out for two or three years. That was a bad contract by Brian Cashman. You sit here, and those are just few, very few moves. And then, two and a half years ago, two years ago, they decided to make a trade with the Twins. And they bring in Josh Donaldson. I thought it was a good move, putting him between Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton. The guy is a washed-up player. He was a washed-up third baseman. The only thing I remember is him yapping his mouth to the other bench week in and week out when he was on the field. Had no power, nothing to show for a lineup that was supposedly be, supposed to be one of the best lineups in baseball. Brian Cashman comes out and makes excuse after excuse after excuse over the last three seasons. And guys like me, who have a lot of respect for Brian Cashman, could sit here and say that Brian Cashman has won championships. He was a part of those great years of the 90s and the early 2000s. But what have the Yankees done for us lately? They haven't won a championship since 2009. This is the longest drought in Yankee history. And you sit here and you come out and you're defending everything about this organization and that you're saying, hey, I don't know, that we might not be the best in the class at the moment, but we're pretty damn good. How could you say that? 82 and 80? Your worst record since 92. And yes, it is a 500 record. And the Yankees have had more consistency consistency when it comes to winning than any team in baseball. Congratulations. You won six games against the Red Sox in September to get you 82 and 80. You sit here and you wonder where this team is going. Now you're hearing stories that they're interested in Juan Soto. But the Yankee fans... We're attacking Juan Soto in Yankee Stadium, the game that I was there, which there were stories coming out that were yapping. Why would Juan Soto want to come here and play in New York? Why would he want to play for the Yankees after what the Yankee fans were doing to him out in the outfield? Why? And the whole Yamamoto thing. Is this going to happen? Now, there were stories coming out that the Yankees were very close on making a deal 
and, and signing Yamamoto. Now there's stories coming out from Vegas and Vegas predicting that the Red Sox have the best chance of landing him. Which and then the, last week. And then the Mets have come out and said that they're going to put all their eggs in one basket for Yamamoto. So you sit here right now. Brian Cashman saying what he has said at these GM meetings. And not really standing for what he believes, but now lashing out to the press and the fans that he doesn't like what they're saying behind, you know, behind the, the closed doors or whatever, out in the open, saying what they have said about this organization, that it's all about analytics, which it's been about on analytics ever since they fired Joe Girardi. And again, the analytics are a little different from what they've seen in the past, too, because of these new rule changes as well. The Yankees, I think, try to do the Dodgers model of analytics, which the Dodgers have done very well for years, but the Yankees have not been able to do it the same way with their pitching. And Brian Cashman has struck out on many different starting pitchers, either with trades or free agency. And like you were saying, that Severino contract was horrible. Him and David Peterson were rivaling as the worst pitcher in baseball in the first half of the season. And then all of a sudden, David Peterson actually pitched well in the second half. So Brian Cashman, I think... It's surprising that he's doing it this much, that he's lashing out as much as he did, because he's normally very humble, and you want to protect Aaron Judge, you want to protect Garrett Cole, and even you want to protect Aaron Boone. I think he did some good things this year, but like you said, wore out that bullpen and really never adjusted when that offense, especially in the second half of the season, was god-awful. And I, I will say this, Aaron Boone, if you look at his record, he's been with the Yankees for a little bit over five years. Mm -hmm. He is one of the winningest managers right now in baseball. So for anybody that takes shots at Aaron Boone, it's Aaron Boone's fault. He lashes out to umpires. He sticks up for his players. That's what you want to see a manager do. They have savages in the box. I mean, he's the Lou Pinella of the Yankees. I mean, you would have thought that Joe Girardi was going to be that kind of manager. But if you look at how many times... He lashed out. He's been thrown out of games. I think he's been thrown out of more games than any Yankee manager in the last 20 years. And that says a lot about who he is and what he believes in his team. Mm. But what this team has shown me is garbage. Glaber Torres was your best player throughout the season, and now they're talking about even moving him this offseason, that they're not going to overpay him and that they're going to look at look elsewhere. And now Anthony Volpe wins the, the gold glove at shortstop, which he's the first Yankee to do that. I don't. I think he's the first Yankee to ever do that at shortstop at the shortstop position, which says a lot about the Yankees and what they have done as far as drafting infielders over the last couple of years. And, and then people lashing out at the Yankees that Volpe isn't the real deal and that he isn't good. And, and Brian Cashman is stuck by him. So I have to give Brian Cashman a lot of credit that he sticks by his youngsters and that he believes that these guys will develop. But who has developed over the last 20 years? Are you going to sell me that Luis Saverino, Aaron Judge, Volpe, and maybe Jason Dominguez are the only four guys that really have developed over the last, I don't know, 20 years? You can't, you can't tell me that when the Yankees at one point were a, a top five franchise when it comes to uh, become with all the player youngsters. Yes, and their, play up, their player development and everything that they've done over the last couple of years to bring these guys up and develop these guys, that none of these guys really developed. And you look at the Yankees, the way they've tried to operate because they've had same problems pretty much a lot, too. I mentioned the starting pitching, and like you said, 
they've developed a lot of these good prospects, but they've had them also get hurt a lot, too. I think they're running into a lot of the same problems we've seen recently with the Cardinals as well. The Cardinals always thought of as this model franchise for baseball, the best middle market team in any sport we've seen. And they've even had trouble with that same kind of thing, especially with pitching. And the Yankees, look at all these number one prospects that they've had. Fra- oh. Frazier, Floreal, all these guys that had this hype at the time. All they, all get, they all get hurt. And... The Yankees don't know what to do with them. They try to either hold on to them too long or, in the case of some guys, they call them up too early, and then it hurts their confidence, too. And the Yankees have to realize they have to stick to one model, too. We've seen these young teams call players up right away. The Reds did it this year, and they for a while, they were a, a, a leading the NL Central. They were a playoff team for much of the year. They stuck with it. Obviously, the Orioles did that last year, almost made the playoffs, and then this year they were the number one seed in the American League. So stick to one philosophy. If you want to spend big, do these big swings like a Juan Soto trade possibility, or you're going to have to get young all at once. Because we've seen the Yankees bringing all these older hitters all at once. DJ LeMayu did not work out. Rizzo worked out for the 2021 season. That was it. He stunk last year. And like you're saying, Stanton now might be the worst contract for a hitter in baseball. I, I, you sit here and, and you, you try to figure out how to make excuses for the Yankees over the last couple of years. There is no excuse. It really isn't. You you had a chance. You had you had a chance to go to the American League Championship and got busted up by a Houston Astros team that is much younger and much more talented when it comes to their roster. And you look at guys that you have, you know, management and executives that you have given up over the last couple of years. As Ng went to the Marlins and developed and brought in players that fit and managers that fit to that organization and helped them win and get them into the playoffs. So now Ng is, is available. You look at Brian Cashman right now. Do the Yankees bring in Ng to work under Brian Cashman? If it fails this year, do the Yankees fire Brian Cashman? and fire Aaron Boone for the first time and and really change everything when it comes to the management. To me, where the Yankees are is they're in that part of of this organization that we've seen in the 80s where they they win, but they don't win enough to get over the top. And with the wild card, they're now. And you don't have to win the division to make the playoffs and make a run. As we saw this year, a team squeak into the playoffs after losing the division to the Houston Astros and go all the way to the World Series and win it all. So it to me, it's not about winning a division, which a division that's so very talented now. You have the Orioles that are young and up and coming. You have Tampa that's always up and coming, always find a way to win. You have the Red Sox who now have new management. I expect them to spend money this offseason as they fired their GM. So there's so many questions. And the Blue Jays, by the way, that is young and talented as well. And they have a tremendous amount of money that they're going to spend in the offseason as well. So the Yankees aren't the only team that have the money. Baseball is different now. All these teams are going to go out there and spend money and put themselves out there to be those endorsers to bring these superstars in and and actually pay them the money that they want. Yeah, and how many high payroll teams really struggled this season too? And that's the, the approach that the Yankees and the Mets and the Padres certain a lot. There's a lot of teams that have done it have gone to this extreme levels, and when they doesn't work for them, they really have nothing left to fall back on, too. And the Mets had to trade, like, everybody at the trade deadline because of that. They had to replenish that farm system. They did well with some of those trades. The Padres are now stuck with that because they Juan Soto is going to be traded now, and they're going to have to try to get at least somewhat level of the same value back, and I don't think it's going to be easy, as easy for them to do. And same kind of thing with the Yankees, especially pitching. They really need to develop a lot in that farm system, too. If they want to get younger more athletic, and more trends to the modern and game. And that takes a long time to mm-hmm. build. And by the way, Hal Steinbrenner, who came out and said that he's not spending over 
the salary cap, it only tells you one thing. If the Yankees sit back and they don't overspend and they don't make trades, they're going to fall even more down and apart in a division that is only going to grow because this is the best division in baseball. You can argue whatever you want about uh, the National League East or you want to say this division and that division. This is the best division in baseball. And when you have all these young guys coming up and the, and, and the Orioles who have been bad for many, many years and Toronto, that has been bad very, very, yep. very long too. And then even Tampa who are figuring things out. They're making trades, bringing in players you never even heard of that become superstars and and really develop players faster than any other team. When you see this, the Yankees are in trouble. And and, and Brian Cashman should not have any excuses to this. And for them to sit for him to sit back and even some of the management and the employees coming out and saying that they they love that he had a tirade. You cannot love that Brian Cashman came out because all the executives believe that this team is falling. They're falling. The downfall is coming. How could you sit here and be okay with it? And we were talking about Ingham earlier, too, and we were talking about it last week, too, as a, a really good hire uh, potentially for the Yankees because what the, she did with the Marlins and what that Marlins organization did is exactly what teams like the Yankees are going to need. Younger pitching, which the Marlins have really developed well. They screwed up trading Gallon, but I think that was before Ing's tenure. They traded him in Arizona, and now he's a Cy Young finalist. was fantastic for them this year, and they went to the World Series. But... You look at Alcantara, you look at some of these other young pitchers, Braxton Garrett that's on that roster. Yuri Perez was a really good young rookie before he had to be sent down for an innings limit. The Yankees need all that young pitching. Whether Garrett Cole or in Carlos Rodon, and uh, whether Garrett Cole stays and Carlos Rodon get bounces back to that form, it doesn't matter. They need depth. Pitching depth wins championships now. It's not as much the Washington Nationals' big three starters and everything else advantage that wins championships now. And the Yankees have to realize a lot of those modern trends. Same kind of thing with the young hitters. They need to get those fast guys that can steal bases, guys that get on base. Anthony Volpe is a great young talent. Yes, he is. But in order to maximize his full potential with the stolen bases, especially with the new rules, he has to get that on-base percentage up. He still was striking out a lot. Like Josh was saying last week, he was still hitting about 200 at certain points this year, and that has to get up. But the Yankees' approach has to be completely different because uh, Leaf is saying in the comment section, this pipeline, this farm system, the way they've been developed recently has not been ideal. It's been garbage. It's been absolute garbage, and Brian Cashman should not be making any excuses on where this team is and why everybody is attacking him going into the offseason because – they have a lot of work to do, and he is sitting there where he could be fired this year after this year with Aaron Boone, and they could be redeveloping and, and bringing a new management and completely changing the whole thought of the Steinbrenner family when they hired him to take over in the past. Uh, the Mets hired Yankees bench coach Carlos Mendoza to be their next manager. Mendoza has been with the Yankees and, and has been a part of the Yankees bench in the last four seasons and managed their Class A minor league team before joining the Yankees in the MLB roster in 2018. Mendoza worked as an infield coach and quality, quality control coach and defensive instructor in his time with the Yankees. Mendoza interviewed for other managerial jobs and positions in the past, including the Tigers, the Red Sox, the White Sox, the Giants, and the Padres. Mendoza was reportedly a finalist for the Guardians and the Giants job as well. The Guardians hired former A's catcher uh, Stephen Vogt as the next uh, next manager, and the Giants made a trade with the Padres to bring in Bob Melvin. The Mets have not had a manager stay with the team for more than two years since Terry Collins. I know a lot of Met fans sitting here today are not happy with the Mendoza signing. Okay? 
I, I, I've heard enough by Met fans all over social media saying, who the hell is this guy? Why would you bring him in? Everybody thought Craig Council was the guy. He was going to come in. You bring in David Stearns. He's a guy that hired Council. And, and, and everybody thought this is all going to work the way the Mets thought it was going to work. Well, it didn't. And maybe David Stearns believed that Mendoza was the guy that he really wanted. Mendoza's been interviewed Quite a few times over the last couple of years. And there are a lot of people in the MLB industry that I've heard on MLB.com that think Mendoza could be a very, very good manager in the MLB. He understands how to develop players. The Mets have had problems in certain aspects of the defensive side of the ball. You bring in a guy that understands how to bring in the coaching aspect of the game. If you ask any Yankee, including Aaron Judge, on what Mendoza did for his growth, he would tell you astronomically helped him grow as a defensive player. When you look at Mendoza, I don't know what he's going to do. We didn't know what Thompson was going to do when he took over for Joe Girardi. He took him to the World Series his first year, going into the second half, and then he took him to the NLCS his second year. Another Yankee guy that was there for many, many years. Not only with the Yankees, but working with Joe Girardi as a bench coach. Now, again, going back to Mendoza. He doesn't have major league management experience. But I think that's good when you bring in a guy that has been a part of the Yankees organization, a winning organization for years, has seen winning before. Now, not championships, because in the last four years, the Yankees haven't won anything. But he's seen the Yankees go to the ALCS. He's been a part of a growth of young players with the Yankees organization. And the Mets have a bunch of youngsters who everybody believes Mendoza can really develop. You look at the Mets farm system right now. It is one of the best in baseball now. I think they're ranked sixth or seventh. When you look at this roster... We don't know if Pete Alonso is going to be a part of this team moving forward. As a matter of fact, there's a 50-50 chance he could be traded this offseason. But what we do know, you have Lindor there, who had a fairly good season. I, I still think he's overrated. I think he's overpaid. But everybody's overpaid. I think when you look at the pitching staff, Senga it looks like he could be the real deal. But we have to see that strategically back-to-back years. I said that. I thought Sanger was going to be the best pitcher on the Mets when you had Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. I thought Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer were old and overpaid. Sanger has proven himself his first year, but we've seen a lot of Japanese pitchers prove themselves year and year, year and year out, come to the major leagues, and then the second year, and then the third year, they get worse and worse and worse. Do I believe Sanger's going to be that guy? I don't know. But I do know Carlos Mendoza is a very good youth playoff uh, player developer. And you look at the experience he has at the Yankees Class A level, too. You wonder if that kind of thing is going to transfer to the Mets' youngest players, especially because Vientos and Beatty both had underwhelming rookie seasons for their standards. Alvarez was very good defensively and home runs-wise. He actually had one of the most highest totals for catchers in the league. But you look at the young pitching that's going to have to come through 
if the Mets are going to go anywhere. I know Billy Epler and David Stearns, before Billy Epler got fired, said, oh, 2024 is not the year. But that doesn't mean you can't make strides in terms of developing what was one of the worst pitching staffs in baseball last year. And one of the oldest pitching staffs, they traded away their two 43-year-old guys, $43 million a year guys, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, that were pitching like third starters. Other guys pitched better in the second half of the season. Peterson, like I said, pitched better. Tyler McGill, before he got hurt, was pitching well. Quintana, they found something a little bit out of. And like you said, Senga, we'll have to see him do it a second year, but he's a Rookie of the Year finalist. He's not going to win because of Corbin Carroll. And, and I, I just want to I just want to act, act, attack what Carl's saying on social media right now. He says, I thought Errol uh, just got done saying that the Yankees haven't developed anyone recently. They have. They developed. I named the three or four guys that they developed. And he had a lot to do with the development mm-hmm. of those three guys. Right. Aaron Judge was a big part of the development of uh, of uh, of the Yankees over the last couple of years. Volpe is another one. Pereza is another one. But these guys are still developing. And Aaron Judge is that veteran player. But, yeah, they've developed some players. But for the majority of the players that they've had in the farm system that they thought were going to be good, can't stay healthy. And then when they do come into the league, they're not 100% and they won't be 100% because of their their injuries over the past. Right, and you look at that level of being developed. There's a reason the Yankees' prospects were rated so high when they were in AA and AAA, too. A lot of that has to do with the original Class A development, too. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to translate to major league managerial strategy. That doesn't mean it's going to translate into working with the analytic department. That doesn't mean it's going to translate into a team player culture guy. Yeah. Those things are all wild cards for first-year managers and managers that maybe had had bench coaching experiences in other places. Look at the Diamondbacks this yeah. year. They hire a manager in Tori, they Tori Lovello a couple of years ago, I think this is 2016, from the Red Sox. A completely different team than what Arizona had. 100%. Yeah. And they went to the playoffs in 2017 with a pretty young team for the most part that year. They lost against the Dodgers in a tight series. And now this year, this team was one of the youngest teams in baseball. The, the Red Sox, when they won the World Series in 2013, that was the reason he got hired. They were one of the oldest teams of baseball. A completely different format. So it doesn't mean they can't work with them. Mendoza is a guy that you mentioned too, also has other roles yep. that he work with and that's the thing I that intrigues me the most now again I'm kind of in the middle tier right now I'm, I you can't really know what I to think expect. this was a great hire yeah. I really do I think he's going to be great for the Mets I think he's a the, the best hire they've had over the last five to six years I think he's better than uh Mickey Calloway I think he's yeah. better than Roja uh I, I, Rojas. Rojas I always yeah. say Roja but Rojas and Buck Showalter who's a guy that I thought was going to help the development of some of these youngsters and then wasn't going to take them to the next level. They were going to have to have somebody like uh, Carlos Mendoza to take over to take them to the next level. Mm -hmm. So I I, I like the hire. I I really do. I know the Mets fans thought it was going to be Craig Council and they were going to overpay for him, but I think Craig Council had no thoughts of coming to the Mets. As a matter of fact, everybody that I, everything that I've read over the last couple of weeks is that a guy like uh, Craig Council, if he was going to jump ship, he was going to jump ship and get the most possible money he was going to get. And the Cubs were going to give him the most. Right. And the Cubs the Cubs paid him $8 million a year for mm-hmm. five years as a manager. I don't think the, any team was going to think to do that because we talk about it all the time. Like, the front office also has a lot of power when it comes to managerial strategy because of the analytics department now. So this high-end manager, unless you're a Bruce Bochy or somebody like that, is not going to be a mandatory thing for every team. And while the Mets were probably going to pay him a lot— yep. 
uh, they weren't going to pay him eight million dollars a year. The Cubs had to you know, make sure they had they the Cubs had to make sure they had to sweeten the offer to get him to leave the Brewers because it looked like he was going to stay with the Brewers too for a while. They just had to renegotiate the deal, and they swarmed in really quickly as it was. And like Carl was saying, they had to fire David Ross, who I thought has been pretty good. I don't think it's really his fault that uh, the, the Cubs struggled at the end of the season. Some of the bullpen management was bad, and I thought he I think he can be good. But again, you look at Council; he has a proven track record too, so I can see why the Cubs did it. But the Mets know they're not a man manager away just from all right Buck Showalter was a problem but not the only problem the Mets have more of a talent deficiency whereas the Cubs were on the uptick and the Brewers were kind of on the downtick too and I think that's why Council left but you also look at Mendoza the type of player he is yes manager he is yes Rojas was also a quality control guy too so maybe that's not ideal but he worked with a lot of other guys at on the Yankees farm system, both yep. young and old. And I think that's what the Mets need as a, as a whole. All right. Who do we have? On? We got Jeff. Jeff, what's up, man? Uh, how are you tonight, Speedy? Uh, I am uh, feeling a little better, luckily. Uh, I had a bad cough the last couple weeks, but feeling a lot better since I've gotten my, uh, my new pills. Oh, well, we're glad you're finally medicated. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you you got to explain this to me like I'm three. Because I don't get this. Until 7 o'clock tonight, the Yankees have had the best farm system in baseball. So why are they struggling? And you're mentioning, oh, they got to sign some players and they got to make some trades. Please tell me who the Yankees are going to trade. Can they afford to do that? Yes, they can. They can. can. They're not going to pay them. I mean, they're probably going to pay them. I don't. I they, everything that they I've need heard. To keep them and pay them because Stanton's contract's going to be expiring in uh, two or three years or something. So three that'll years. Be coming yeah. off the books, right? And so you're just going to get rid of one of your best players because the rest of the team is questionable. The Yankees need left-handed power. That's what the Yankees have been missing over the last couple of years. Uh, I don't know anyone that's been saying that for years. Well, I, again, I'm I'm telling you what I think, and I never said that the Yankees' farm system was one of the best in the league. As a matter of fact... Uh, Justice Sheffield. Uh, could, could you stop? Could you stop? And by the way, Justice Sheffield hasn't been a part of the Yankees' organization in fi- about five years. He was one of the biggest so what are you talking about? But what are you talking about? That has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now. And by the way, five years ago, the Yankees farm system was ranked eighth in all of baseball. So, uh, and how many and how many people out of that? I just said it. Did you not listen? Did you not listen to what I had to say? Yeah, and that usually happens in baseball. Let me ask you a question, Jeff. the The Red Sox over. Yeah, you know, I would say in the last seven, eight year span, they were in a top ten when it comes to farm systems. How many great players came from their farm system? How they many? Weren't, they weren't. They weren't ranked in the top ten. Yes, they were. Yes, they no, were. No, in the no, last ten years, because- yes, they have. No, They've been they in the top ten. Now it's pretty good. Like this year, it's pretty good. They got Marcello Meyer. I don't know if Tristan Cassis would still be considered a prospect. He played all year. Uh, you know, Yoshida came and played. I don't know if he would count as a prospect. Sedan Raphael has been pretty good. He got called up late. They got Nick York, who I think is ranked fairly high. I think he's like a top. How long prospect. has Devers been in the majors? Oh, Devers has been in the majors like five or six years. Okay, and Devers was a high prospect, was he not? <laughs> One guy doesn't make your whole farm. Andrew Benatendi was a good prospect. Yes, he was. He was a high Benintendi prospect. Didn't even really, Andrew Benatendi didn't even really even play minor league baseball. He wasn't even a prospect. He, he was, Jeff. He, 
No, he, he was. wasn't. He played at Arkansas. He won the Golden Spikes Award and then went right to the Red Sox. I'm telling you right now, he played in the farm system. I know he did because For I, what, a I season? no, we we had what's his name again on. He was talking about Ben Attendee. He played with Ben Attendee in the minor leagues. Devin Marrero. De- yes, and he told us he was playing with him for two years in the minors. So uh, you're wrong. Barely, he barely played. But he was there, was all. he not? What are you? What are you trying to make up things? The Red Sox were number barely. seven in 2016. There you go, number seven right, in 2016. Right, right, right. That's that's when they started to rebuild the thing. The fact is, if you look at the Red Sox and you look what the Red Sox have done over the last couple of years, it hasn't worked. And that's why they fired their GM. They decided to bring in a Tampa GM who wanted to build their farm system and never brought in, didn't want to open up and open up their pockets and spend for the big player. And and obviously it, it, it didn't work out for the last couple of years. And they decided, hey, you know what? We're, we're going somewhere else. And that's what they did. And that's what teams do. The Yankees have made mistakes. And I, Brian Cashman, I maybe has made been, any mistakes. Yeah. They, the Yankees might have the best contract in baseball on their team. That Carlos Rodon contract's amazing. <laughs> you know, it, it's so funny how a lot of Red Sox fans uh, and, and even Met fans over social media over the last, I would say, six months have taken shots at the Yankees about Carlos Rodon. Okay, because no the, everybody was taking shots at Carlos Rodon. Okay, because he came back injured. He had shoulder problems. He should have set out for the season, but he wanted to come back because he got a lot of money in the offseason, and he was the best lefty available. And because he had a bad season coming back and he wasn't 100% healthy, everybody's throwing the Yankees under the bus saying that it was a bad signing. What happens if he comes back next year and wins 14, 15, 15 games and has a 260 ERA? win 14 or 15 games anyways. That doesn't mean he's pitching well. If, if his games, ERA if is under three 10, and his whip is if, closer to one. If they're winning games 10 to nine and, and he's given up nine runs, is he still a good pitcher just because they're scoring Jeff, 10? Jeff, for, for anybody that knows anything about Carlos Rodon, and I know you watch baseball and I know you're a betting man, for you to sit here and say that Carlos Rodon is not a good lefty pitcher is ridiculous. You all, every no, he, he wasn't healthy this year, right, Jeff. But, right, but here's but here's the problem on how you're judging him, and I think it's I, I I think it like it's a fair statement, Speedy. I think that you'll think this is fair too. You're telling me this guy is oh he's such a good pitcher. He pitched in the second most pitcher friendly ballpark, and that's what helps change those numbers in your opinion. And now that he's playing in a ballpark where you can stand on home plate and piss over the fence. He's no good. Let me ask you a question, Jeff. When he played for the Giants, did he not lead the league in strikeouts as as far as lefties yeah, are concerned? Did he? Did he, Speedy, did he not? You, did he not? Speedy, would you? Did he Speedy, not? You, did he Speedy, not? Yes or no? Yes or no? Speedy, would you say that San Francisco's the second you know the friendliest truth. pitcher park? That has nothing to do with it. How many times it did has, he? he it struck, has a lot to do with it. First of all, he plays in other stadiums. How many games does he play in his own stadium? How many games? 80, 82. 82. Speedy, I want you how, to How many up. starts well, is it going to be of that? It's going to be maybe half of his starts are at home. Maybe Jeff. six. Yeah. Seven. So 15, 15 starts at home. Mm-hmm. If he's healthy the whole year. So 27 starts I think he had his last year with the Giants. So we'll, we can anticipate anywhere from 11 to 15 will be at home. <laughs> he was the best power left-handed pitcher in th- for three years. For three years, he struck out more than any lefty in baseball. Okay? Right. Right, but you said the same thing about Frankie Montas and and Frankie. Frankie Montas- hold on, hold on, wait, wait a second. I Frankie Montas was an, a, a Cy Young candidate two out of the where, the three the last three. Yeah, but his shoulder was done. Where, the Oakland where did he pitch? the Oakland A's 
through his shoulder out. The Yankees and the Yankees made a big mistake. I I will say this: the Yankees made a big mistake. They should have obviously medically cleared him before they made the trade. That was the mistake that he and that was Brian Cashman's fault. Blame it on Brian Cashman for that one. Would you say pitching statistics and numbers? Uh, the ballpark that they play in has a major uh, part to do with that. Well, there's a whole separate stat for that. That is called adjusted ERA. And for somebody, for something into the extreme matters of Oakland, yeah, you could definitely factor that into why and a San lot of their Francisco. pitchers have not struggled. San Francisco's uh, also with the Giants, though they develop their pitchers very well, and I think that has more to do with their development of. Even since Bochi left, they've done well at rebirthing Anthony Desclafani, Kevin Gosman. Kevin Gosman still pitched well in Toronto. Go so there's look the other at, stream of go the example at, you're looking go at. Go look at Carlos Rodon's record in Yankee Stadium. But, go look at his record speedy. in Yankee Stadium. How many speedy, strikeouts you, he's had in Yankee Stadium over the last speedy. couple of years. If Speedy was a major league baseball pitcher and you were and you were gonna and you were gonna uh pick a place that you wanted to pitch in because it would make you look really good, what would your top three places to pitch in? Uh, Oakland, Miami, Detroit. Not San Francisco. Not San Francisco. Uh, well, San Francisco from the development standpoint, just from the pure, pure right. ballparks, so, those three. And, and so if you were a pitcher and you were like, oof, I don't know if I want to play there because I could give up a lot of home runs, what three ballparks would you be playing in then? Colorado, obviously, is the number one for that. Right. I would, uh, I, I would probably say, yeah, the Yankees and Cincinnati. Let me ask you a question, oh, Jeff. There you go. Uh, there, you yeah. there you go. There you go. Go look at park. go look at Carlos Rodon's record against the American League East the three years that he was over there with the Giants. Go go look at it. And the Chicago White Sox. Go look at his record. Go look at his record against the Red Sox, the Yankees, in Fenway, in Yankee Stadium. All ballparks that are great home run ballparks. Go look at his record. Well, maybe pitching in front of heathens is another part of the problem. You know, the Yankees fans have a history of— There he goes. No, no, no. I think this this is fair because they did it with Sonny Gray, too. I think the Yankee fans are too hard on the players on their team. And that can have an effect too, because I, I don't think it's—I don't think it's a great sign that Carlos Rodon would give up six runs in the first inning, and and as he's being booed walking off the field, he's blowing kisses to the fans. Would you say that that's appropriate behavior? <laughs> I think it's funny. I think it's to me. You think? You, you think, I think it's great. The pitcher doesn't care that much that you love it. I first of all, what makes him not care so much? Because he's blowing kisses to the fans. What, after, what? After giving up I, I don't think that has anything to do with it. Out. He's just telling the fans that you want to boo me, I'm going to blow kisses at you. What does he? What does he care what the fans think? He's going to go out there and he's going to give it his all every single time he goes out there. Did he pitch well this year? No. Was he healthy this year? We all know he wasn't. And Jeff, what is the? What is it going to be? What is the excuses going to be going into this season if he wins 15, 14, no, 16 games, no, has an no, ERA no, under three, strikes no, out no, about two hundred people? What is the excuses then? Oh, yeah, there's no, there's, oh, there's no, there's oh, no it's spider tech. It's this. It's that. Pitches well, he pitches well. That's what it is. You sat there and told me it was the best contract in baseball. Everybody thought it was a good contract. It wasn't just me. It wasn't. Harold Reynolds said it was one of the best contracts for pitchers that he's seen, left-handed pitchers that he's seen over the last five, six years. So, yes, it was a good contract. To sit here and see a left-handed power pitcher make 20, what was it, 23, 27 million. $27 million when you're seeing left-handed pitchers make $38, $39 million? Yeah, I mean, it was a great contract. You could have had better production for $15 million a year if you just gave Jordan Montgomery a chance. 
that would be World Series winning pitcher Jordan Montgomery. And the Yankees will be interested in bringing him back because the story is coming out that the Yankees are going to make a run at him. So you want to go back after you treated him like trash. Why would he? Because he was a Yankee. He was drafted by the Yankees. He's been a part of the Yankees organization for years. That's why. They threw him in the bin. Oh, well, you know what? The Red Sox have thrown a lot of people in the bin. Uh, what happened to Nathan Ovaldi? What happened to Nathan Ovaldi, buddy? What happened to him? He, same guy went to a World Series team and was the big part of them winning. Actually, the biggest part. You're, you're missing the point. Oh, I'm angry. big. Because it's not the Red Sox, right? It's Yankees. No, no, no. Let's no, no, go. No. Let's go. Go ahead. Of all the players, the Red Sox have... Of all the players the Red Sox have thrown in the bin, who's come back? Nobody's come back. That's right. What happened to the great so Chris Sale? Remember that? Remember? Oh, we oh he's still there. He's, he's We're not there. one of the best pitchers in baseball. Well, where is he now? Where is he now? Pitching just as Maybe much as Carlos Rodon this year. He went on and won a World Series. Good for him. Oh. I'm not, nice. I'm not bitter about that. I'm happy for someone who, who gave us a courageous effort in game five uh, against the Dodgers out in L.A. That was a great game. He deserves to have another ring. Good for him. I'm not unhappy about that, but he hasn't come back. So what makes you think Jordan Montgomery is going to come back? I didn't say it. I said the Yankees are interested in him. They, they're in, the Yankees are also interested in Yamamoto. That doesn't mean the Yankees are going to get him just because they're interested in him. I'm just telling you what I've heard and what I've read. So now you're going to take shots at, at, at the Yankees because that's what you like to do. You just like to no, throw. You love to throw the wood in the fire. Speedy, that's what you do. Shot. What about Speedy, you, Jeff? Let's talk Speedy, about your team. Shot? Let's talk about your team, how they fell apart. They were ahead of the Yankees. Oh. Yeah, they, they yeah. did fall apart. Yeah. But I am excited about some of the prospects. Ooh, that came up. prospects. Let's go to them. Let's go, because you, you like to take a shot at the Yankees prospects. Hey, I mean, did any of the Red, Red Sox, Sox prospects? Two Red Sox rookies. Hmm? Two Red Sox rookies are going to finish in the top three, probably, Ooh. in Rookie of the Year. That's pretty good. Oh, that's great. Did any of them win a, uh, did any of them win a gold glove? Hmm. They haven't given out the awards. Did yet, they, they? Did any of them? They're work? not out. Then, um, the Red Sox. I don't think had any Gold Glove nominees. Nah, they didn't. So but Casas is a finalist. Nah, yeah, Casas is a finalist for rookie. Did they have a guy? Did they have a guy that hit a, a, a shortstop that hit over twenty home runs and, and stolen over thirty uh, stolen bases, uh, which is uh, unheard of for a shortstop to do? Red Sox shortstop play was terrible this year. It was putrid. I, I know. And you, you loved Trevor Story, right? You loved that move. It was great yes, the whole year, dude. Uh, Come on, man! You you were bragging about well, Trevor Story. Hold on, hold on. Oh, here, want, here we go. Here we go. Let's go. No, no, no. This is going to be great. Well, why didn't Aaron Judge hit his sixty home runs this year? Then Earl. Oh, he's I, the best power hitter in baseball. First of all, I didn't want him. I didn't want him. I didn't want to pay him. Give him a nine-year, three hundred eighty million dollar. Whatever they gave him, three hundred sixty. Why didn't he get those home runs? Oh, like, I'm sorry. It was the Goldilocks balls. Oh, my God. Because, because you have a Yankee-hating writer that comes out and throws the Yankees under the bus, everything that comes out. That's what you like to do, Jeff. You like to throw everybody a curveball. And if they can hit it, they can hit it. And if they strike out, they strike out. That's what you do, Jeff. You think you think that's a curveball? Oh, 100%. Trevor Story didn't hit 20 home runs because he was hurt. and then Trevor Story is overrated and overpaid. Hence the reason why they got fired their gm got fired so i don't want to hear it jeff you sit here and you make excuses for the red Sox. that's what you do any excuses no really you just brought up that you have two rookies you have two rookies that are up for rookie of the year did you not say that did you not say that because i said i'm excited about some of the prospects they have that's what i said that's where that comment came from i'm sure a lot of uh, white Sox fans were excited about their prospects too Right. I'm not excited about Anthony Volpe. I'm not excited. I'm not excited about any of the Yankees youngsters. 
I have to see it not even year the in Martian, and year. Not even Dominguez? No. No, I, I don't know what they are. And Dominguez is coming back from a UCL tear. And look how long it took Glaber Torres to figure it out. It took almost a year and a half after he came from a UCL tear. So, yes, I am not excited until I see it on the field. And, by the way, Anthony Volpe has got to do it back-to-back years, and he has to hit better for average. That's the only way I'm going to sell, sell myself to believe that the Yankees have a young prospect they can build with in the future. And also, they have to stay healthy, too. Look at all the Yankees prospects that have gotten all these long-term injuries. Yeah. Floreal, I have to thing. get Tommy John surgery. Please, I don't want to talk but about that's, shouldn't that. Be, shouldn't that be on the Yankees training staff, though? Because yes. We're not saying it's I, not. I know that Earl, I know that oh. Earl pitches a fit and screams and moans when I say this, but oh, here you we know, go. Severino's like the perfect example because they kept saying <laughs> nothing was wrong with him, and he was seriously hurt, and they kept dragging that out. Speedy. And they kept making him go out there and pitch. I think that's a terrible move. Speedy, let me ask you a question. Did I not... Did I not bring up Luis Severino? Yeah. Did I not? We, we were saying Did before, I he was not? the worst pitcher in the American League this season. Okay. Right, 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 right. But as it was going on, you were like, he'll be fine. You're he'll always trying back. to find he'll something. To throw. You, that, that's what you do, Jeff. You always take things out of context. That's what you do all the time. That's not out of context. Yes, it is out of context. context. That had nothing to exactly First of all, I said that. Coming back. Oh, really? I said that in the beginning of my monologue. I have, I've brought up Luis Severino right. and how right. much of a bust he's been since he's come back like, from his injury. Is- but this is what I'm saying. In years time, oh, he'll be fine. He's good. He's coming back. Oh, oh God. Domingo Herman. We don't care that he beats women. He'll Jeff. be fine. Give him some spider attack. <laughs> it's cool. Jeff, let me tell you something. I have said a lot of things over the years. So have everybody else on talk radio. And they, some of them are right. And some of them are wrong. You're not yeah, going to always. Yeah, <laughs> you're not going to always be right, okay? But I will say something. When I am right, when I say things, and I am right about things, you find a way to attack it, anyways, because that's what you I'm do, not, Jeff. I'm not yes, you I'm do, not Jeff. Anything. Yes, I'm, you I'm do. You do it all the time. Said. What did you do? What did you do? All we- First of all, I, I think that that's a legitimate complaint to put some of the responsibility on the training staff, and you're taking it as a shot because you no, I don't. I think the training staff sucks. I have said this for the last past year. The Yankees training staff sucks. Uh, do you ever do you ever sit here and wh- what do you do? You sit here and you just write down things that you like to say and you like to Jeff attack. Jeff probably leaves a lot of take And you don't take in what I have said and put it down on paper. And you then you attack and then you say you never said no, it. No, no. I don't need to write it down because I have a pretty good memory. Oh, yeah. I'll show you. Remember you say Jeff, Jeff probably logs it in his head that finds a, finds a way to think about all night how to nitpick it. <laughs> Jeff always tries to find things to nitpick. Anything. Anything and everything. Yes, you do. Yeah, Jeff has a great memory. Snug, why don't you lick his ass? Okay? Yeah, that's what you like to do. I mean, seriously. It's everything that Jeff says. Oh, he's right. He's perfect. He's everything. Good job, Snug. Snug probably won't do it. You guys should be a tag team. You guys should be Be a tag team. Snug, the czar of censorship might ban you. Oh. What what, what are we moved? What what, what, what are we doing? A radio show in Iraq now? The SARS. I think they're the highest censorship country. <laughs> Russia, I think, is second. And this oh. is... Speedy, Speedy, did you happen to catch the football game on Monday night? Okay. Goodbye, Jeff. No, Thank you. Goodbye, you Jeff. Thank I you. I will get into him. I will get into right. him. Goodbye, right. Jeff. But did Brees Hall walk for all of those yards? Because he tore his ACL. Did he walk for all of those yards? Goodbye, because Jeff. Because you can't have a career. Goodbye. <laughs> I am tired. You know what it is? It, it doesn't matter who it is, as long as it's a team that I root for. Jeff will do anything, anything to attack what I have to say. But you know what? 
I respect you, Jeff, because analytically, as far as fantasy is concerned, you're very good at what you do. But as far as you attacking somebody because they're a fan of them or you you root for them, I have sat, and I will get into the Jets because I have my own thoughts to the New York Jets on Monday Night Football because it was an absolute embarrassment. And Zach Wilson will get his own monologue. It's not going to be about the Jets. It's going to be about Zach friggin' Wilson, okay? And I have my own thoughts to what the Jets did on Monday Night Football, and the Jets played very well. As a matter of fact, Justin Herbert had his worst game as a professional against the Jets in MetLife Stadium. It didn't matter because they still put up a 27 points against a defense that has been really spectacular all season. But unfortunately, their offense is just absolutely putrid. Great counsel signed a record-setting five-year $40 million contract with the Cubs to become their next manager. David Ross was ultimately fired after four years. He only had one playoff appearance with the Cubs. Council said he wanted a new professional challenge and still wanted to stay close to home. Council had been with the Brewers organization for a combined 17 years as a player, executive, and manager. Council's agent reportedly didn't speak to the Cubs until Monday, and the Brewers were not not going to give the Cubs permission to speak with him before that. Council was reportedly uh, torn between going back to the Brewers or going to the Mets before the Cubs gave them gave him the largest managerial contract in MLB history. First of all, it is messed up what the Cubs did to David Ross because they told David Ross going into the offseason they're going to keep him and they're going to move forward with him with this young Cubs team. After Craig Council became available, and they can speak to him, within hours, they figured out a contract that he was going to agree with and that the organization was going to agree with to bring him to the Chicago Cubs. It is crazy. If I was a Brewer fan, and if I was part of the Brewers organization, I would not be happy knowing that I have to watch Craig Council manage a team that you have to play against every single season for the next five years. But not only that, when you look at the Mets organization and what the Mets have when it comes to money, Steve Cohen is willing to spend the youngsters that the Mets made trades with going into the season for Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, their rebuilt farm system, you would have thought going and playing and managing for your pal David Stearns would be a better fit than going to the Chicago Cubs. But the Chicago Cubs, an organization that likes to sneak in, they've done it plenty of times over the last 30 years. And I know you know, Carl, about your Cubs team. And I'm sure you're laughing to the bank. And if you're a Cubs fan, you should be excited because Craig Council is a good manager. He has been successful. He hasn't won anything, but he's been successful. And again, you look at Craig Council, the way he's operated with the Brewers. They've done it in a method that it started off really low market. Then it started to become middle market. They started to spend a little money. They made the trade, obviously, for Yelich, and then they gave him a big contract. And since then, they've also given out some other big contracts and but the problem is they haven't been able to do it on a consistent basis to get them over the top. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Craig Council 
while he did adjust to the shifting, he was very creative at certain points. Sometimes his in-game decisions hurt in the playoffs, too, and had to work with many different teams. Now, I don't think that's all on him. I think that's also on Stearns, and I think that's also on the previous GMs for not being as aggressive at the trade deadline, too. But I think Council realized that the Brewers were going to be on that kind of downfall. I thought it was going to be the trade deadline. I thought they were going to start selling pieces. They ended up still staying afloat, and they ended up making the playoffs. But still, the Brewers are kind of stuck in that, all right, we can make the playoffs, but we're not good enough to win a playoff series type thing. Since they went to the NLCS in 2018, they've just kind of been stuck in that pattern, and he wanted a new opportunity. I didn't expect the Cubs to be that team either. Josh was texting me, oh, it's going to be a team that has a manager in place already. He mentioned the Phillies, I think, and somebody else with the Cubs, too. I'm like, okay, maybe he's just going to take a year off from managing, and David Ross will get his chance. And you're right, I do feel bad for him, too, because I think he did a pretty good job for the most part. Oh, I'll tell you this. I know, I know for a fact that Josh did not like that Craig Council went to the Cubs and he didn't go to the Mets. Sure. I'm sure that he was crying about that. He cried about that with me on the phone, but I'm, I'm sure he was crying about it on his show. And, and, and to really look at the aspects of the fact that he chose the Cubs over the Mets, he obviously thinks that this roster with Swanson and Mark Leiter is a better up-and-coming roster than the New York Mets. And he might be right. But you know David Stearns, and you know what type of executive he is and what he likes to do, building farm systems from the bottom to the top. He drafts very well. I just I, I don't understand why he would decide to go to an organization he knows nothing about. Yes, he's played against this organization quite a few times, but he knows nothing about when he could have went to an organization that will spend the money, has is going to have a good farm system, and you know the executive that is running that organization moving forward. And I don't think the Mets expected this kind of power move either. We, we thought the competition, if, if somebody was going to steal Craig Council from the Mets or the Brewers, it looked like it was going to be the Astros for a while. The Astros were in rumors after Dusty Baker obviously retired last week. There was a rumor about Cleveland too, but I didn't really think they had a shot. But the Astros obviously with the reputation that they have, making the ALCS every year for the last seven years, granted half of that was cheating, but still, they have that kind of stability. You would think that was going to be the team that was going to steal it. And then the Mets would probably go after somebody else. The Giants got rid of Gabe Kapler. Obviously, you mentioned before they traded for Bob Melvin, Mm -hmm. and maybe that kind of move was going to happen as the backup plan, but Council doing it like this, I think, was the Cubs' power move in terms of trying to make sure he didn't go back to the Brewers, especially, too. And the Cubs fans have every right to start being petty at the Brewers, and the Brewers fans have every right to be mad, because you're right, I think the Brewers Brewers and the the, the Craig Council had a great relationship with each other, too, so I could see why they're going to start getting mad at him, too. I think there was a vandalism of a sign at his field, which I thought that was a little extreme, but still, you look at the Cubs, they had to make that kind of power move as being, like you said, that sneaky high market team with upside that the Mets right now aren't yet. They snuck in for Swanson mm-hmm. uh, about a year ago, yep. and they they stole him from the Braves. They got Suzuki. Everybody was questioning that move. And, and remember, Yamamoto wants to play with another Japanese player. Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't he go to the Cubs? He has Craig Council there. Uh, he's Midwest. What is that? Uh, Midwest. Yeah. Midwest right there. It's, it's kind of the West Coast. Uh, Suzuki had a great year. He hit 285, 20 home runs, and 74 RBIs. So they got themselves a good young uh, Japanese player over there. And this roster isn't bad. Now, do I trust the executives of the Cubs? This isn't Theo Epstein running this organization. Sure. Okay, it's not. You look at uh, Dansby Swanson. He's a guy that is going to give you that 25 home runs. He's going to give you the 85 RBIs and get you 260, 270. This year, I think he batted 245 or something Yeah, he like was that. bad at the beginning of the season. Yes, so it, it kind of hurt him. But this team actually played better 
in the second half, especially in the second half. They kind of fell apart. They started off really strong in the first half. Then they fell apart all the way into the All-Star break. And they started picking up their game. They started pitching very, very well. So I, I don't trust that this Cubs team, even in the division that they're in, that they're better off and better have a better opportunity to win a World Series than the Mets do because Steve Cohen will open up his pockets, as we know, $1.5 billion in the first two and a half, three years he's been there with the Mets, and I expect him to spend even more this offseason. Yeah, I think, again, it was also just the Mets were blindsided by the fact that the Cubs were going to do this. They made a power move to take out one of their guys in their division. I don't think they expected anything. I just think they really expected the Astros, and I think the Mets thought they were going to have the biggest offer at the time, too, but they also know that they're not a man away. Now, I'm not saying the Cubs are necessarily a manager away either because they have to figure out what they're doing with Marcus Stroman. He's going to be a free agent who had a nice year for them. Like you said, they don't have a lot of pitching depth mm-hmm. outside of maybe lighter if he comes up next year. Justin Steele had a great year for them too, but their raw pitching depth is still in question mark too. But they figure, alright, maybe Craig Council is somebody that worked with the hitters well with the Brewers at the beginning of his tenure too. Because even when the Brewers were kind of rebuilding too, they had some years that they were competitive for a while. I think they were the first team out of the playoffs in 17 then they went to the NLCS in 18 with not a lot of pitching. Pitching. And maybe they're thinking the Cubs are going to be that same kind of thing. But I don't necessarily blame the Mets for trying to, I guess, striking out on them because I think they were blindsided. I think the Cubs are still a good – they have a good roster and they they have a good farm system. The question is, are, is their owner willing to spend the money, one? And number two, is he going to spend more – going into this offseason than Steve Cohen. Yeah, he, they spent a lot last offseason, too, because they mm-hmm. went after Cody Bellinger. They went after Swanson, like you were saying. Jan Gomes was a veteran pickup. They, they paid Stroman again and gave him a pretty big arbitration deal, I think, after that, too. So they're definitely willing to spend, but you're right. Is it still going to be the level of the Mets, especially if the Mets' sense of urgency is still going to be strong with you what heard what David season. You heard what David Stern said, that they are not rebuilding. So he said right. that we're going to go after players that is going to help this team now. So... Everything that we heard Steve Cohen say going into the middle of the season when he spoke to the press, and he said that, hey, we're not we're not going to be ready to win next year, but the year after. And that pissed off guys like Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, and that's why they wanted out. Maybe that was the curveball to get them out of there. Yeah, the, so, C- the Cubs are in a natural progression where they traded everything away and they rebuilt. They traded everything in 21, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, etc., and they stick to everyone young. And then last year was the year of spending. The Mets have been kind of fluctuating to, all right, maybe they're a borderline contender, then they spend. They trade for Lindor. They spend a lot of money in 21. They spent even more money in 22, getting Max Scherzer and Marte and all those guys. And that last year, they over they doubled down on Justin Verlander, and then all of a sudden it goes to the other extreme, too. So the Mets, you never know what they're going to do. I still worry about a lot of the things that especially with their pitching that they've built right now. But the Mets do have some youngsters. They do, Like you said, Alvarez still playing very well. And they just have to make sure they treat these guys better. And that's why I think the Mets are still going to spend a lot of money. I know they're not going to say they're, they're going to contend next year, but you also look at baseball with the new rules and the playoff format, too. We were talking about it with the Rangers and the Diamondbacks. Those are both wildcard teams in the World Series. Who says that a wildcard team can't do it again with this, buy, this, this rest that these teams are getting now, too? And it happened last year, too, with the Phillies. So... Maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be a powerhouse team established right away either. The Mets are not going to be that, and neither are the Cubs. Fox Sports Jay Glazier reports that Josh McDaniels' last straw consisted of a meeting that took place last Tuesday in which many players and coaches ripped McDaniels. The meeting was reportedly vicious, and Josh McDaniels was reportedly acting distant 
and not himself. New interim coach Antonio Pierce referenced the 2007 Giants that he played for, and Josh McDaniels didn't like him insulting the Patriots. The Raiders have brought in seven former Patriot players since McDaniels and Dave Ziegler took over last season. Players also went to owner Mark Davis to air out their grievance that they have had with McDaniels this season. McDaniels was 9-16 and in his coaching career with the Raiders. First of all, and I, I've said this, this was a complete catastrophe when they decided to bring in Josh McDaniels. I... I Ever since he decided to not take the Indianapolis Colts job, and I'm sure Jim Irsay is loving this because Jim Irsay was attacked by the press when Josh McDaniels decided to stay with the Patriots and uh, stay as the offensive coordinator with the Patriots at the time Tom Brady uh, was finishing up over there. But when you look at this story, you bring in Devontae Adams, you overpaid for him. Now, I think Devontae Adams is still a top five wide receiver in a league. You draft Renfro, who was one of, at one point, his first rookie year, the first two years when John Gruden was there, he was one of the better underrated slot receivers in the league. Josh McDaniel comes in. This guy barely played, and when he was on the field, you didn't even know he was on the field. Then you bring in Jacoby Myers. He had a, he's had a pretty good season. But was he worth the money that they paid him? That's the question. And then you look at what this team has turned into. John Gruden had this team as a borderline playoff team every single year that he was there. He gets fired, and they decide to bring in Josh McDaniels. Two years. Now, it seems like this is the Josh McDaniels number. We saw him with the Broncos. Two years. He drafted Tim Tebow. Didn't work out. Tim Tebow became a tight end and then became a baseball player after he was drafted in the first round, where everybody thought he was a fourth or fifth round talent. Some people thought he was an undrafted talent. Okay? Then you look at guys like Darren Waller, who, yes, at one point was one of the best tight ends in the league. And I know all Giant fans were so excited to bring in Darren Waller for a third-round draft pick. Darren Waller is an unhealthy type of player. But when he was on the field last year and when he was healthy, why wasn't he seeing the ball? Then the whole Josh McD- the Josh Jacobs situation going into the offseason. Oh, running backs aren't worth the money. You don't pay a running back. Josh Jacobs last year had a record-setting type of running season for a running back for the, the Raiders. As a matter of fact, the last Raider that had that kind of numbers was probably Allen. And that was like 20 years ago. Okay? So you sit here, you don't want to pay your running back. You didn't want to hand him the ball in the beginning of the season. You had one of the best running backs, if not the best running back, in football last year. And you were giving him the ball. You were feeding the ball last year. All of a sudden, in the new year, you decide, hey, you know what? We don't have to give him the ball. We're better than that. Uh, what What a complete joke. And you want to know something? If I was a player. And we all know about the Chandler Jones saga, okay? And that had a lot to do with Josh McDaniels, too. And Chandler Jones, who has not stepped on a field this year. I bet you he steps on the field one way or another now because Antonio Pierce is running that team. But nevertheless, to me, sitting here today, if I was in that locker room, if I was at that conference or whatever, that meeting with all the players and all the coaches, I would absolutely kill him. Do you, did you watch this game against the Giants? 
Did you watch what the team was doing against the Giants? Now, the Giants aren't a good team. When was the last time that you saw this Raider team completely demolish a team since Josh McDaniels taken over this team? When was the last time you saw it? Not, not tenure, that's for sure. Because every last year, every every game was high scoring. This year, every game was low scoring. He never had a game like that as a manager. You have something? You you have a number? Are you looking up numbers? No, no. All right. I I, I thought you were uh, you were going to give me some numbers, but Josh McDaniels has been a complete joke. He will never, ever, 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 ever get a coaching job again. And why did the Raiders do that when they knew that he was a retread? Which, one, goes against the trend of the modern NFL. A lot of retread coaches have not done well the second time around. And, two, he hasn't been a head coach for over a decade, too. And you're just trying to try to rebirth that and hope it works, too. This is the problem in today's NFL. You have to establish a relationship with your players, and you have to establish your relationship with a coach and GM right away. Now, they tried to do that with two Patriot guys. I guess that you could understand that. But still, this is a team in the Raiders that had ownership uh, – talk to the players, ownership that's dysfunctional it is, Mark Davis being the voice of reason in all this, too. There were players venting to Mark Davis about how bad Josh McDaniels was all season long, and they didn't make an adjustment then, too, when they could have had the chance. They won the first game of the season against the Broncos, and then it all spiraled out of control again, and yeah, they've won a couple games against the Packers and the Patriots, these other, like, bad teams as well, and they're winning ugly, and that kind of thing is not sustainable. Then, you, like you said, the Chandler Jones thing was probably the worst thing of all. You're sending a, 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 a squad of these like hostage guys to Chandler Jones's house and bringing him to a hospital? Like, that's ridiculous in itself. Devontae Adams, you never want to piss him off. Josh Jacobs, you don't want to piss him off. They're your star players. And you just drove this team into the further ground, and now you're paying these guys $85 million. Josh Jacobs. As a matter of fact, the Raiders' running game is ranked 30th. 30th in the NFL when they were ranked closer to the top 10 last year. How do you have one of the most dominant running backs in all of football that can catch the ball, run the ball, do everything at the prime of his career? What is he, 25 years old? At the prime of his career, who had 1,600 all scrimmage yards last year, how are you ranked 30th in the NFL? How are you an offensive guy when your whole offense is ranked 23rd? When you were coaching the great Tom Brady, when you were coaching one of the best offenses in the NFL? How could you sell that to the Raider fans? How could you sell that to an NFL management and and, and the organization as a whole? If I was sitting there right now as a player, I would have sat there and, and laughed at him. I would. How could you sit in the locker room at the end of games? And you're making excuses and, and trying, to t- trying to calm the players down. Uh, don't worry, guys. We'll get them next week. Blah, blah, blah. But whatever they say, I, I don't know what the coaches are saying. You know, they have the cameras in the locker room. They want you to see what you want to see and not hear what you want to hear. But here, here's what I, I would sell on this. If you're a Raiders fan, God and good riddance, okay? That's what I would say about Josh McDaniels. I would not ever cry losing an idiot and a stupid offensive mind who has never achieved anything as a coach ever since he left to the New England Patriots. It's never worked. He went to the Broncos. They were one of the worst offenses in the league. He goes to the Raiders. They're one of the worst offenses in the league. And by the way, you had a guy like Chandler Jones, who was one of the best pass rushers in the league, and by the way, was drafted by the Patriots, and you decided to say that he's mentally unstable. 
Meanwhile, you were the mentally unstable one, not only in the locker room, but outside the locker room because none of your players ever liked you. Your, your own owner sat there and made excuses for you when he wanted to fire you because he knew he overpaid an idiot like you. Uh-huh. And you look at the Raiders since they've moved to Las Vegas, too. It always seems like they've had to try to do things more flashy because that was the mold of, all right, we have a new city. We have to establish ourselves that way. We saw the Rams do that. We saw Miami's done that in the past because everyone has to go to Miami and they're kind of now being that team that's turning into that in a big city that players should want to stay in, should want to go to, and they just become dysfunctional. And what kind of head coach did you, in this player meeting is going to bring up an incident of Antonio Pierce, who is a former player, ex-giant linebacker. He's was, never getting that job, by the way. For anybody that thinks that he's getting that job, he's not. There's going to be so many coaches that are going to be available in the offseason. We just mentioned Jim Harbaugh. There's no way. Jeff Saturday, we, we all know the whole Jeff Saturday thing with Indianapolis. Oh, yeah. They thought, oh, he's getting the job. Jim Irsay loves him. Blah, 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 blah. What happens? <laughs> One of the, if both Philadelphia coaches became available, they go all the way to the Super Bowl, and they did. They made the right decision. They yes. hired the right guy. Yeah, and that's the right the approach that any team should take. So you don't have to just get enamored by the flash. If you hire a coach that has modern innovation and actually works well with the players, actually has good relationships with the players, and not going to be petty at things of 16 years ago. Yes, I'm a Giant fan. I love that Super Bowl team. Antonio Pierce was a good linebacker on that team. You don't need to be triggered to be so sensitive on that kind of thing, too, and divide your whole locker room. He, he could go 7-0. He's still not getting I don't job. think he would either, because the Raiders are stuck in this... Uh, mindset that they have to be flashy because they're in Las Vegas. It's and going to be Jim Harbaugh. Remember I said, I said this. And yeah, that's that was something Remember that could have Remember I said this today. In 2022. I don't want to hear anybody say I never said this. And I am saying it right now. Jim Harbaugh will be the new Raiders coach after this year. Yep. Guaranteed. And we saw Jim Harbaugh in the entire hiring process of 2022. Who are the three teams that were interested in Jim Harbaugh? The Raiders, flashy new city in Las Vegas. Miami, like I mentioned, they always love to go for flashy things. And the Broncos, because they got new ownership. Now they said, all right, let's go get this big swing out Sean there. Payton. And they end up going Boy, for Sean they Payton. they strike out on that one, and too. And that's, what the, that's the, what the Raiders are going to be stuck in, too, because the Raiders have to go in that approach because they're in a new city, and it just doesn't work. Why don't you just establish a reputation? The Rams didn't do that. They went for Sean McVay. Sean McVay was a, a young guy on Washington that was an offensive coordinator for a year, was a quarterback coach the year How before. How about McDaniels with Miami? Miami. Daniel in Miami, same kind of thing on that same coaching staff. Miami could have said, all right, we're going to go hire. Miami was trying to tamper for Sean Payton. Remember that, too. They decided to go away from that, finally, because Tom Brady didn't want to go there. So <laughs> The Raiders hired the wrong McDaniels. <laughs> of course. But teams are not trying to deviate just because of what your reputation was in the past, because these retread trends have not worked at the NFL. The Giants did it with Pat Shermer. They tried it with it. That didn't work. And there's plenty of other teams that have had a good example of that. The only one that I think this worked has really been Dan Campbell in Detroit. Everything else has been all new guys, new, fresh offensive minds or a kind of like McDermott with Buffalo. But still, you're these are all younger guys, more innovative guys. Why are you not going to that trend? And why are you not going for a stabilizer? The guy, Bisaccia, that took over for Gruden, did a good job with that team considering all the issues that they had. And yeah, nope, they had to go flashy and get rid of him and hire a moron like Josh McDaniels. Speaking of another Raider, ESPN reported that the Jets were inquiring about Devontae Adams at the trade deadline, but Raiders would not trade him. Joe Douglas was reportedly still all in on contending this season, even with Aaron Rodgers injured. Adams has been frustrated 
with his role as an offensive receiver over there with the Raiders and previously frustrated with Josh McDaniels and Ziegler, who were both fired. Adams also said it was time for the Raiders to make some sort of change. The Jets were also rumored to be interested in Mike Evans, but the Buccaneers did not want to trade him. Adams has three more years left on his current contract, but does have an opt-out after 2024. Uh, Adams has a cap hit of $25.35 million next year, and then $44.1 million each of the next two years before he opts in. So, here's what I'm going to say about this. Devontae Adams will not be a Raider next year. It don't matter who the head coach is. It could be Jim Harbaugh. It could be John Harbaugh. It could be uh, Dan Marino. How about this? You you want to bring, uh, I don't know. Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson in. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who the head coach is going to be next year. He is going to be demanding a trade, and it will be with the Jets. He's he's not going anywhere else. Maybe they should hire our friend Stuart Schweiger. He loves Purdue so much, and now their new current quarterback was a Purdue seventh-round pick. Now, I, I don't know how the Jets are going to fit this in when it comes to the cap. They're going to have to give Elijah Vera Tucker an extension one way or another. Are they bringing Makai Becton back? Are they going to give him the franchise tag? There's a lot of questions for the Jets. They are... Obviously scheduled to pay uh, Aaron Rodgers, I think, 55 or yeah. $58 million next year. Now, obviously Aaron Rodgers can fix that contract and maybe cut it down to 32 and extend it where they can bring and they can fit a guy like uh, Devontae Adams in. He would love to bring Devontae Adams. Could you imagine Devontae Adams on one side and Garrett Wilson? Garrett Wilson's getting double teamed every single game. They cannot give him the ball, maybe because Zach Wilson stinks. We'll get into that a little bit later in the show. But – you look at you look at this story. I'm not surprised Joe Douglas reached out to the Raiders because they know they're in a shambles. They, I think Joe Douglas knew McDaniel's was on his way out, and he he knows because Devontae Adams speaks to Aaron Rodgers every single day because they're buddies that he wants to play with Aaron Rodgers, and I believe that Devontae Adams is going to force his way out to the New York Jets. Now the question is. Are the Jets willing to give up their first-round draft pick this year to land a Devontae Adams? Because they're going to have to give up at least one first-round draft pick to bring in one of the top five wide receivers in all of football. Now, I could see the Jets negotiating something where they won't have to give it up, but they don't have a second-round draft pick this coming year because that does go to Green Bay. Now, they can obviously trade out of that first pick and try to extend as many picks as they can for that first round pick. They could do that and then try to maneuver the 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 picks to get a Devontae Adams and not have to give up a first. I don't know how they're going to do it, but it, it makes a lot of sense on why Aaron Rodgers coming back next year and Devontae Adams going there. The Jets need another, another wide receiver. It's not going to work. Lazard has really been a bust for the Jets. He has not been good. He's dropped the ball a significant amount of times this year. Uh, and, and maybe because Zach Wilson doesn't know how to spiral the ball. Or maybe just Zach Wilson sucks. Or maybe Nathaniel Hackett doesn't know how to run an offense anymore. Uh, or maybe he only knows how to run an offense with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, a.k.a. Matt LaFleur. But you, you look at... The Jets and and look at the the story behind the Devontae Adams thing. Devontae Adams only wanted to come and play uh, with Derek Carr because it's his buddy. He only wanted to leave Aaron Rodgers to play with Derek Carr. One year, he barely finished the season. He was dropped by Josh McDaniels, not even on that roster or on the sidelines the last two games. They let him go, and he goes to the Saints. And has he played well with the Saints? No. 
But nevertheless, you you look at where Devontae Adams is in his career. He wants to win a Super Bowl. He didn't win a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers. And the only player that he knows, the only team that, as far as the offense is concerned, that he knows is the Nathaniel Hackett. And you bring him in, you have Alan Lazard, you have Devontae Adams, you have Cobb there, and you have Aaron Rodgers. You have the new and improved Green Bay Packers. Maybe they could go trade for Aaron Jones while they're at it, too, at this point. He's uh, obviously uh, down Probably Cook would did, happen. Down I don't want him. didn't work out. I didn't say you should want him. I mean, he's making $12 million a year, and he was hurt much of the season. But nevertheless, it's interesting because Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, I definitely think they would both try to restructure 100%. to make it work for them to come together. Now, it's interesting because I think Joe Douglas, the types of trades he's made, he's tried to be very stubborn, and a lot of the trades that he's almost made, too. And that's going to be interesting to see how much competition there would be if Devontae Adams becomes available because Devontae Adams obviously has vented out his frustrations about the Raiders organization with McDaniels and Dave Ziegler but he also did say that he likes the city and he likes the like he likes the ownership he likes the front office all that what does stuff. that mean I you're right I don't I'm it's not all gonna... about winning to this guy this guy's going to make his money he's made his money he doesn't he doesn't care anymore sure they both Aaron Rodgers wants to win one more Super Bowl he's only going to be compared to the greats if he wins another Super Bowl and he knows he has the best chance if he has Garrett Wilson on one side and Devontae Adams on the other and mm-hmm. he has a great running back in Brees Hall and he can move forward with that kind of roster now the offensive line there's a lot of questions but hey you know what they could do they can add some more offensive linemen from that Packer offensive line over the last couple of years if you know what I'm talking about yeah if, if David Bakhtiari can actually 100%. Healthy more than one game the last three years. That's where Bakhtiari is going next year. He's going to sign a small contract to go and play with the Jets because he gets to play with his boy, Aaron Rodgers. I'm telling you, this is this is the new and improved Green Bay Packers. That's what they're going to do. And, and, and Robert Sala will stay there, even though I don't think Robert Sala is the guy. And you're going to hear me and hear me out on that with the whole Zach Wilson thing because I think Robert Sala has weighed out his welcome. I do not want Robert Sala here anymore. I think he's a bust. I don't think he's a good coach. And you can see it. And I, I just I can't sit here and try to sell the Jets anymore to any of the Jet fans. As a matter of fact, I think the Jets are going to lose probably the majority of the rest of this season because I think Zach Wilson is a bust. I think he sucks. And Joe Douglas sitting here and trying to sell the fans that Zach Wilson's getting better when he looks even worse. Yeah, and it's interesting because Devontae Adams and Garrett Wilson are... are, Garrett Wilson down the road will get a big contract. Devontae Adams has one now. And it's interesting because the mindset is, all right, you're going to have to pay wide receivers and then build up the rest of the depth of your offense from there. And we've seen a lot of teams do that. The Bengals obviously are now trying to struggle with it because they can't pay T. Higgins and and Jamar Chase down the road will have to get paid as well, having just paid Burrow. But most of these other teams that have paid the wide receivers have been able to build up the rest of the receivers beyond that. And Garrett Wilson will be able will be eligible for that kind of contract down the road too yep. in f- two years. So will the Jets be able to pay him and to be able to take on a $41 million cap hit from Devontae Adams if Devontae Adams tries to restructure for next year too? Well, they could franchise him, and Swash Gardner will be something that they're definitely going to uh-huh. have to look at this offseason because I would extend Sauce first. If you're going to bring a guy like uh, uh, Devontae Adams in, you're going to have to decide what you're doing with Lincoln Tomlinson. I yep. think you get rid of Lincoln Tomlinson. You don't bring him back. Uh, even though he's had a decent season, 
Uh, he, he's an injury-prone player that uh, hasn't been the player that we thought he was going to be. You could draft an offensive lineman, a guard sometime in the draft this year, or you bring a free agent that'll come and play for the Jets. So I don't think that's going to be a problem. You can get rid of that. You're going to get rid of Carl Lawson. Yeah. Uh, you're going to give Huff the extension, but Huff's not going to be getting $20 million. He is one of the better pass rushers in the league. He's going to get $15, $16 million. Right. They're going to give... They're going to give him a Carl Lawson type of deal where they can bring him in 40, four years, $40 million, $45 million. He'll be happy with that, and uh, the Jets will move on from there. But I think that when you sit in the position that the Jets are in, they're going to have to make a lot of decisions this offseason. I, I think a lot of these – McGovern will be gone. Yep. You're not bringing him back. You have Titman now. He's, a, he's going to be an affordable contract. You could move Mekhi Becton, let him go, or you extend him and you, you give him like a $5, 6000000 million contract because – even though Makai Becton's had a better year, you don't know what you're going to get out of Makai Becton with those knee injuries that he's had. So uh, there are pieces that the Jets can move on, move in on. Dalvin Cook could be gone at $7 million. There are pieces that they can – they could talk to D.J. Reed and tell D.J. Reed, uh, you want to stay here, we're going to have to uh, take your contract and, and, and kind of maneuver your contract. And also – they're going to also look at other pieces, other players that they have on this roster. Alan Lazard, if he wants Devonta Adams there, he might have to take less uh, to bring him in. So I think the Jets will figure it out. I think Joe Douglas has the right um, right analytics and right guys in that in that management as far as the executives are concerned that can find a way to add players. I just I'm questioning. You bring in Devonta Adams. Is that the missing piece that's going to help them win? That offensive line has not been as good as we thought it was going to be this year. Right, and that's the risk that the Jets are going to have to make with paying a guy at a premier position right away when you still have a lot of question marks with the rest of your offense. Now, with the way the Jets' defense is played, I don't think they have to really worry about that because every level of the Jets' defense, outside of their run defense in certain games this year, it's played phenomenally. They're the best secondary in football right yep. now. They're showing it again. Their edge rushing depth has been really good, even with Lawson hurt for a lot of the year or a healthy scratch for a lot of the year. I will tell you, the, Yankee, uh, the Yankees, the Jets are going to lose Michael Carter. There, there's no way they're going to bring Michael Carter back. He is going to expect a big contract. Some people think he could be a number one on another team. Hmm. He's a slot guy right now, but he could be a number one, number two. I could see the Cowboys making a run for him. It, it, I think they'll have – they won't have money, so the Cowboys can't get him because they have to pay Dak $60 million yeah. going into the offseason. So it won't be them. But Arizona, I, I, you could see the Raiders maybe giving him that kind of money. The, uh, the Giants, they're, they're looking for a corner. There are teams that are looking for that number one one number two guy I think Michael Carter is going to be making probably between 14 and 15 I think he's uh, still again this year a top 15 type of corner yep. they're going to have to pay him I don't think they're going to be able to afford those type of players so the Jets are going to lose pieces as good as they are defensively and that secondary is is a world beater right now it's not going to be enough where you're going to be able to keep DJ Reed Pay Sauce Garner and then pay Michael Carter. It doesn't make sense, especially if you plan to bring in Devontae Adams. But the other thing, too, is the Jets have a lot of leeway where they can just go all in on the offense because of that kind of thing. Yeah, DJ Reed, I guess, could be a wild card. That is true because I think he makes more money towards the end of his contract. But the other rest of the players are all pretty stable in place right now, too. And they have a lot of good young depth now with the pass rush that they could trust, too. That system has definitely worked. I think Jeff Olberg, who I was critical of last year, has done a lot better job this year with the defensive line management. And they're not getting exposed as badly against tight ends. 
ends this year. And the the running backs, I think, are still a little bit of an issue, but that's going to come with a four-man rush. We've seen the Eagles run defense be down last year with a four-man rush. Even the Niners recently have not been playing well. So it's going to be some games that looks like that. But it gives them leeway to go all in the offense. The approach that worries me is if they do go all in for Devontae Adams, who's making all this money, and they're not able to restructure it the same way, are they going to be able to either have a scheme to work around the offensive line weaknesses, or are they going to get some gems in the draft or free agency? When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be an all-hockey guest tonight. Yes, we have two guests working with the NHL, one of them, uh, which we're going to have on, uh, who is with the Forever Blue Shirts, a writer and an on-air talent, for the first time on our show, Stephen Pappas, here on the Sports Loudmouth. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouth. Is it 70s over here? <laughs> no, this is actually Franz Ferdinand. Oh, okay. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Sports Loudmouth. 631-672-3108 is the number to call, just like Jeff. Being the pain in the ass that he always is, go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouth with me and Speedy. Every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Tune in, check out our menu bar and all the listings throughout the week. All you have to do is go to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. And now, ladies and gentlemen, like I said, an all-hockey guests this night of... It's actually, it's actually beautiful. It's cold. It's cool. Hockey night. Uh, the Rangers are playing good. The Islanders lose a big game yesterday. I wanted to throw up on, but nevertheless, we are talking to Forever Blue Shirts, writer and on-air talent, Stephen Pappas. Stephen, what's up, man? What's going on, guys? I got to tell you, the, the inspired Jets talk got me going. I can't I can't deal with it anymore. It's, it's a tough life to live as a Jets fan, but... Mm. Uh, luckily, that's not what you guys have me here on for today. I go yeah. on for hours about that. Well, you know what? Uh, I I sit on the toilet every single day, at least three times a day. And every time I'm trying to push, it reminds me of the Jets trying to push their way through games. And they are absolutely, incredibly terrible, okay? And I, I don't want to get into the Jets because we're not here to talk about the Jets with you. We're talking hockey. You're a Ranger guy, and we're going to get into the Rangers and how well they're playing. They're playing spectacular, and that has a lot to do with what I've been saying, Peter LaViolette, who, by the way, I was one of very few people that said that the Rangers were going to be an elite team this year because of, because of Peter LaViolette, and some of these youngsters are really starting to develop because of Mr. LaViolette. So let, why don't we get into it? Before we get into it, how is uh, your pal and Anthony Scaltari. Anthony is doing fantastic. I'm I mean, sure he got, is. Uh, over at Forever Blue Shirts, I mean, we got a crowd of writers now. It's been just a steady stream all season. It's 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 almost like a well-oiled machine. Mm. I mean, we technically don't have any credentialed writers, but you wouldn't know it by by the coverage that goes on with the guys and girls behind the scenes. I mean, it's an incredible place. I luckily knew him when I was still in college. So I, I've known Anthony about as professional as you get without, like I said, without being a, a credentialed writer. It's, it's fantastic. I love Anthony. But every time he comes on this show, he loves to tell me how great the Rangers are going to be and how bad the Islanders are going to be every year. He's been on this show at least four years, and I love Anthony. Yeah. I, I was looking. When I saw Forever Blue Shirts, I thought it was going to be Anthony that was coming on the show. because nah, He couldn't come on this late. I'm apparently. ready to put, on my, put up my dukes and, and take him out, man. But uh, he has... 
honestly, there's really nothing to argue about right now. I think the Rangers are one of the best teams in the league right now. They're playing great hockey. Uh, they're getting great goaltending. Jonathan Quick has been sensational. Uh, Sturkin will get, you know, he'll figure things out. He's one of the better young goalies in the league. And uh, their defense, their all-around defense is one of the best in the league. So tell us, what has stood out so far early this season for the New York Rangers in your eyes? Yeah, I feel like it's got to be the special teams, not just the power play. I mean, you look against Detroit and they're scoring, they score two goals within, you know, 30 seconds of, of two consecutive power plays. And you're almost like the, these guys can't miss. The second power play unit still needs a little bit of work, especially with Fox being out now. Gustafson moved up to the top line. Uh, I do like Keandre Miller on that second power play unit. I think it's tough with how well Gustafson is playing to take him off offensively take him off that power play unit but you know that first unit I think it's the best power play unit in the NHL solely because of the options that they have Mika Zibanejad hasn't even gotten started yet this year and they're second in the league in, in power play only behind the Devils Zibanejad hasn't gotten going yet and his power play is still clicking uh, as good as it gets uh, you know you have Kreider right in front of the net Vinny Trocek with the with his release we saw it last night with his two goals that first goal was unbelievable from Trocek coming in off the rush. When Fox is healthy, he quarterbacks the power play. And the guy that's, you know, could very well the 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 record for consecutive games with a point to start Artemi Panarin. There are five guys in that power play unit that are threats to score at any point in that two minutes or however long the power play is. And there are guys that can stay out there for two minutes. On the flip side, their penalty kill is one of the best penalty kills in the league. Over the last uh, six or seven games, 90% on the penalty kill they've given up uh, two goals in 21 attempts. I mean, like it, it's, it's the point that you mentioned about their defense, how good their defense has been. Obviously with Fox out, you know, you saw a three goal lead get washed on Saturday against Minnesota, a little shaky in the third period last night against Detroit. They have served their own through the two games that Fox has been out and Heedle's been out. Uh, unlike Anthony, I'm a little bit more of a pessimistic fan. I mean, I feel like I've seen a lot more of the the negatives and the positives. So I, I won't say I'm more realistic, but I, I will take a, it's more of a yeah, but type of type of mindset on my eyes. Uh, five on five, they still need to get better. That's the one thing that really hasn't been up to snuff. I think they did a good job last night. Uh, I'm not sure what they ate before the game, but they dominated the first 25 minutes of the game. I mean, they won puck battles. They uh, were strong on the four check. They kept Detroit hemmed in in their own zone. I mean, it was 10 to one in shots through the first period uh, for the first, most of that first period. And the only reason Detroit had a shot was because they just two stupid penalties. If there's one uh, instance where you'd like to see them get better, a little bit more discipline. They took six penalties last night. They took six penalties uh, out on that West Coast trip against Vancouver. That being said, of those 12 penalties that they took, only one ended up in the back of their net. So their penalty kill being as good as it is. But I think you can't talk Rangers hockey right now without <laughs> talking about how good their special teams are. Yeah, so one thing to be pessimistic about is still Capo Caco, still having a tough time developing. Um, are you worried about his production with this new coaching staff too? And it, could it get to the point where if he still struggles, do the Rangers have to trade him? See, I think with when it comes to Caco, he has the label of the second overall pick. And when you have the label of the second overall pick, you're expected 70, 80 points in a season. I think you have to take what you get and what, what you get with Capo Caco is an elite defender. Fantastic defender. Is it sexy? No. Is it something that is going to make your highlight reels at the end of the year? No, but it's something that it is pivotal to a team that sh that preaches defense first. I mean, Peter Laviolette is a, a big de defense first guy, and we've seen it this year with the Rangers. Two years ago, they went to the cup or conference final. You know, when the Rangers had a one-goal lead going into the third period, and part of that was the ridiculous play of Shesterkin, 
you were confident that that team was going to win that game, whether it be in regulation or in overtime. They were a fantastic third-period team two years ago. Last year kind of slipped a little bit, and I think they've really gotten back to that this year in the sense that if it's a you're comfortable playing close games with the Rangers, and when it comes with Kako, you know, I, I can't really say the offense is going to come because there's nothing that has really shown uh, that it can. Uh, I think he won't be moved during the year if it does come to that. I think he's a pivotal point or pivotal player on this team, maybe not in the sense that everybody would have hoped for, um, but he plays defense at a level uh, as a forward. And that's something that's uh, valuable to a team. You know, I, I didn't necessarily like him on that top line. Truthfully, I don't like Blake Wheeler on that top line either. It's something I, I almost want to see what Will Cooley can do on the top line. He has shown that uh, he's a guy that will get pucks. Uh, he will retrieve pucks for Kreider and Zibanejad. Um, that five-on-five play from that top line has not been very good to start this year. Was it just on Kako's shoulders? No, Zibanejad and Kreider got to be better in that instance. But um, I think Kako, what you're going to get with him, unfortunately, is going to be a third-line defense first grinder uh you know just a, a pain in the butt to play against which is not something that is a, a bad player to have like i said unfortunately he has that number two overall pick uh uh title you know tagged to him and now on the flip side alexi lafreniere i feel like has done a, a better job uh he, he's his scoring has been you know wishy-washy to start the year started with four goals to the first you know five or six games has kind of tapered off had a nice assist against detroit last night but he's a guy that you see plays with a ton of confidence. And when he plays with a ton of confidence, it's dangerous. He's going between the legs. He's making moves. He's making passes. He's shooting the puck. And that's one thing that I saw from Kako last night that, especially early on in that game when the Rangers had Detroit really hemmed in their offensive zone, Zakako wasn't afraid to shoot. And, you know, you take the little things when you can get them. I think Kako is is very gun-shy when shooting. Uh, of those three kids, I think Heedle's got the best shot. You know, obviously he's down with an injury right now, so – he also hasn't gotten going this year uh, to, to the standard that we would have liked from a goal scoring perspective. He still has six assists, which isn't anything to scoff at. But um, I think I've, I've been in, impressed with the kids to a degree so far this year. I think Lafreniere has been pretty good. heedle has been all right. And, and Kako defensively has been one of the better guys. But, you know. Obviously, you want to see him put the puck in the back of the net. We are talking forever. Blue shirts, writer, and on-air talent, Stephen Pappas. You know, Stephen, I, I mentioned Jonathan Quick. He has been unbelievable for the New York Rangers. Right now, in, in the four games that he's played, he's 3-0-1. He has one shutout. He has a 1.77 uh, goals against average. His, his save percentage is one of the best in the league right now, 0.936. Shesterkin's had a pretty good start. I mean, nothing to really brag about for what he is. Uh, a 6-2 and record, uh, 2.3. 360 uh, goals against average in a .913. I mean, Jonathan Quick, I thought, was a great leader. A guy that you brought in, you know, coming into the season. He grew up a Ranger fan. He's from Connecticut. Uh, a lot of people thought he hasn't been the same goalie, but he's won three Stanley Cups. He understands how to win. He won a con Smythe. The guy is a great, great leader, and I think he's going to help Shesterkin be the goalie, the future goalie, and moving forward, one of the great goalies in the NHL. What are your thoughts, Jonathan Quick, and what he's done so far this year? I mean, right after the preseason it was like almost hitting a panic button like this guy couldn't stop a beach ball in the, in the preseason and you're sitting here like oh my god is, is Shesterkin gonna have to play 65 70 games this year for this team to have a shot and Quick's been able to to go in and now with Shesterkin being day-to-day -day, I mean he's he's other than I would say that the end of that Minnesota game he's been lights out for this team and you know you talked to me in 2014 that Jonathan Quick would be a pivotal part of a Ranger team 
you know, I, I think you're crazy, especially after that Stanley Cup uh, that still, you know, haunts me to this day. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, quick, I can't say enough about him. And, and I feel like what's not talked about enough is Benoit Lair, the goalie coach. I mean, it seems like the Rangers, uh, the same way like Notre Dame is, is known for producing tight ends. I yeah. feel like the goalies are produced in New York under Benoit Lair. You look at the resume. I mean, Cam Talbot, Auntie Ranta, uh, Alexander Georgiev, the list goes on of, of guys that weren't starters with the Rangers because of Henrik Lundqvist or because of Igor Shosturkin now that have gone on to be number ones on teams that are playoff caliber. Alexander Georgiev is one of the better goalies in the NHL uh, this season and last season, and he was Shosturkin's backup. I mean, uh, I think Benoit Lair does a fantastic job uh, of getting these guys ready and and when you talk about Jonathan quick, I think the big thing that was wrong with him in the past couple of years is he was losing his net. He got off his angles uh, and he's a guy that loves to play aggressive. He loves to make fantastic saves, which also could put him out of position. And I feel like Alaire has done a great job of keeping quick within himself. So he doesn't stray away from his game. He's still able to play that type of game, but also almost keep a bungee cord to his post. So he knows exactly where he is on the ice at all times and it's been able for him to make some great recovery saves, always be in position. Uh, and the one thing I will say about Quick is you're not really seeing him give up big, juicy rebounds. And that's one of the things that always gets you hurt as a goalie is, you know, not being able to control the puck. I think Rangers goalies, for as long as I've been alive and for long, as long as I've been watching hockey, is something that they always do. And I think it's a credit to Benoit Lair. You know, I'm not sure what this organization is going to do goalie-wise when, uh, when, when he ends up either retiring or, or, or taking another job. But... Uh, you know, he's done wonders with Jonathan Quick. And, you know, we're going to see right now he's day-to-day as well. Uh, Louis Domingue uh, or Dylan Garan might be in goal uh, tomorrow <laughs> night against Minnesota. I might be strapping it up in the pads. Who knows right now? The, the Rangers goalie situation is is pretty crazy, but it's better to to have that here early November than, say, you know, April and May when, when, when we're down the stretch in the playoffs, hopefully. So we have to see what uh, what kind of sandwich and what kind of food they'll lure Louis Domingue with in order to get him to play in that game. Who knows with all the restaurants that exist in New York. So it's I wanna... still crazy. It's still crazy how he was able to come in for Pittsburgh that series and, and, and make it a series. I mean, it just flashed back to Dustin Tokarski in 2014. Oh, yeah. Don't remind me of that. I'm like, oh, God. It's funny because I actually thought Montreal was going to – they were my pick to, uh, I think, make the cup at the start of the year because of Carey Price. Then it was like, oh, down. I'm like, all right, the Rangers should coach in this, and they still almost lost. So I want to ask about Fox injury now too obviously they didn't miss a beat yesterday against the Red Wings until the third period when they just gave up on the game for what it seemed like but besides that they looked very good defensively strong too and Zach Jones has had to come up obviously they've had to rotate a lot of other guys like you said Gustafson's been a pleasant surprise like all right how worried are you about the defensive depth long term and what kind of line combinations would you want to see from the Rangers I think if there's anything that I'm least worried about the depth defensively I mean Zach Jones is a guy that could play on, on, a, on a ton of teams. Tough start. I think he had a really good game yesterday. He hasn't played it a ton. I mean, he's in and out of the lineup now with Fox being out uh, on LTIR. Jones to play more, and I think that's a good thing. I think he needs the reps. Him and Schneider, obviously, two very young players. They'll make stupid mistakes, and you're going to, you know, throw your hands over your head and be like, what, what on earth are you doing? But they'll give you moments of, all right, these guys get it. Jones last night finding open space and, and, and taking a shot that gets deflected by Will Cooley. I mean, he's an offensive first guy. Unfortunately, there's a ton of offensively gifted defensemen on this team when you look at Adam Fox, when you look at Keandre Miller, you look at, I mean, Eric Gustafson, they pay them, they, they pay him $825,000 and he's got eight points in, in 12 games. I mean, is there a better 
contract that you could think of right now in, in from a defenseman in the NHL paying a good pennies uh, is certainly better than the 800,000 they're giving to Blake Wheeler, but that's a different story. Um, but defensively, I think this team is where this team's at the strongest. I mean, they have a ton of depth. They have guys that can rotate. I think Trub is having a fantastic year through 12 games. Uh, he, he gets a lot of, of flack from fans solely because of his contract. He throws questionable hits. He throws big hits. Um, I mean, he's a tone setter, but he's also been a decent offense guy this year. And I think my biggest gripe with him and Andre Miller last year is nobody was really defensively responsible. Give up a ton of odd man rushes the other way. Uh, whether, you know, situationally they wouldn't be great. Um, but I think this year being able to stay within themselves, know when, when pinching is the right play, know when they got to sit back. They've been physical this year. He's the second best defenseman in the NHL. I think Kale McCarr, uh, I would say head and shoulders is better than Adam Fox. I know Mike Kelly in the summer didn't even have Adam Fox in his top uh, top five defenseman in the NHL, which I thought was ludicrous. But either way, Adam Fox is is probably the number two defenseman in the NHL. So yeah, losing him is going to be, uh, you're going to have you know some tough shoes to fill. But I think, you know, some guys on this team are, are able to step up and rise to the occasion. And I think we've seen it through two games, especially with Eric Gustafson, who, who I think has had his two best games as a Ranger since Adam Fox uh, has been out of the lineup. Obviously, Fox needs to come back for this team to make a run, and hopefully he'll be back around Christmas. I can't say enough good things about this Rangers decor right now. Um, I think they've done a fantastic job of that next man up mentality. Uh, Zach Jones and Braden Schneider had tough starts to the year. I think both of them have gotten better. But like I mentioned, this is the, the least concerned group I would have on this team at this point. We are talking to Forever Blue Shirts, writer and on-air talent, Stephen Pappas. You know, Steve, you look at, obviously, the Metropolitan Division, the Rangers right now in 12 games. They have 19 points during first place. Carolina, I expected to be right there with them. Uh, they're starting to pick up their game. I, I think that they're... To me, an older team. Everybody keeps talking about some of their youth. Aho, obviously, he's a talent. They've got some pieces there, but I think their goaltending is skeptical. Uh, And then you have New Jersey, who I think their goaltending also is, there's a lot of questions there, but their team, really from one to four, who's who's got better lines than they do right now with youth and talent? I I don't know about Lindy Ruff as a head coach, but I, I love this team and how they're built. And then there's the Islanders right now sitting there. They have the best dual goaltending in the NHL. I mean, Volamov and Sorokin, I think Ilya Sorokin, I mean, you probably will argue this, but I think Sorokin is the best goaltender in the world. And he, last year, I thought he should have won the trophy. Uh, obviously, Olmark had a, a really good season, 49 games. He didn't play 60-some-odd games like Sorokin, and he didn't have the shutouts that Sorokin did, but uh, we all know what the Islanders are really dependable, depending on. They depend on their goaltending and their defense. Their defense, to me, is uh, losing Pellick and, and obviously some of the pieces that they had, uh, Bo Horvat for maybe a significant amount of time, blocking a shot. The Islanders have a lot of questions with their goal scoring. The Rangers, they're, they're right there because they have an all-around team. They have a good – their defense is playing well, even though I still question what they're going to do defensively in the playoffs. They have not produced in a playoff defensively. They have good offense, but last couple of years, they couldn't put the puck in the net, and that's a big problem. What stands out in this, in, in this conference? Who do you think are the biggest challenges for the New York Rangers moving forward? I feel like the answer has to be New Jersey. I know the Rangers have had Carolina's number in the regular season and I guess the postseason as well over the last three seasons. I mean, that being said, it was one series. And, you know, you go back to 2020 and Carolina took out the Rangers. That's a completely different team. This is a completely different team than than, uh, 
than the 2021 team. But I do think that the Rangers match up better against Carolina than they do against the Devils. I do think the Rangers now match up a lot better against the Devils than they did a season ago. I think the Devils are still um, the fastest, youngest, most exciting team that you're going to have in the Metropolitan Division. Um, but their goaltending is is as suspect as it gets. I, I think defensively, they have some great offensive defensemen, uh, specifically with Dougie Hamilton. Defensively, I think, you know, they got holes at five on five. I, I You know, it hasn't been talked about enough this season. The Devils at five on five have not been good. They they have scored, I believe, 22 or 23 goals of their 46 on the power play this season. Um and they've been getting a ton of opportunities. Like I said, 44% on the power play are the Devils. Um, but at five on five, I think it came to a head last night when they played against Colorado. Got to watch a good amount of that game, and Colorado really took it to the Devils. And, and you know, that's a team that plays with speed as well uh, that really put the Devils back on their heels. Obviously not having Jack Hughes is a uh, is a big loss, and that's something that, you know, you hope he gets better the same way you hope Adam Fox gets better. The league is not the same without Jack Hughes playing. Uh, it's not the same without, you know, uh, uh, Adam Fox playing. But I do think the Devils, you know, give the Rangers the biggest pain uh, come playoff time or just in the regular season in general. I think their speed um, might cause some issues. I do like what I liked with the Rangers this year that I haven't liked in the past. You lo- you watch that Vancouver game that they played. Vancouver is a team that plays with speed. They're a team that plays up the ice very quickly with young talent, exciting talent, the same way that the Devils do. And the Rangers did a fantastic job of being able to neutralize uh, uh, Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes um, and some of their more exciting guys. During that West Coast road trip, the Rangers in, in, in three games played – or two games, excuse me, played uh, – uh, not Conor McDavid. He was out. But Leon Dreisaitl, Elias Pettersson, uh, and Quinn Hughes, and they allowed one secondary assist of those three guys in those two games, which is well pretty telling how well defensively they've played this year. I think the system under Peter Laviolette, is going to do wonders for helping against some of these quicker teams. Obviously, you know, the Devils are going to get their opportunities. They're a team that plays with speed. They're a team that plays with puck possession. The Devils will get their opportunities, um, and the Rangers will will, will sit in their zone for a bit. And I've seen that a lot this year where the Rangers kind of get hemmed into their own zone. But I think what they've done better at this year than in the past is they've kept a lot of play to the outside where it's not dangerous, you know, uh, uh, shots in front of Shesterkin or, or whoever the backup goaltender is. Uh, they've done a fantastic job at blocking shots. You know, you look at a team like Vegas last year, you know, Jack Eichel's a star. Other than that, they have a lot of, you know, really good talent. They, I wouldn't say they have a ton of stars on that team, but what do they do well? They play defense, they lock teams down, they won faceoffs, they block shots. And that's something that the Rangers are doing this year uh, at, a, at an elite level as you can have. I think they're top five in faceoffs, they're top five in in shot blocking. Uh, they're one of the better defensive teams on top of, you know, having the stars that are clicking right now. And granted it is November 8th. So there's plenty of time between now and May and April. Uh, a lot of things can happen, but you know, I think the, the, the Rangers match up better against the devils than they did a season ago, but I still think the biggest thorn in the Rangers side this year is going to be the devils. I think they match up better against Carolina. The Islanders are always a, a, a pain to play solely because of the goaltending and the defense and, you know, it's just a, a knockdown, drag out. Don't fight. sell me on You're the defense because gonna... the defense has been horrific. I mean, Lambert fair, fair. is Lambert has been horrific as a head coach, and I, I think in the off season, if Lou doesn't retire, then something needs to happen because I like Lou. Okay, I, I I saw him at an event. I walked up to him. 
I didn't like the the Pierre signing, the the uh, um, Angvall signing. Engvall. I didn't like that. I, I really didn't like that signing, even though it was a it was a fair contract. They have no speed, the Islanders. They have Barzell, and that's it. And and to me, I, I understand they're built for the playoffs. The Islanders, if there's any team built for the playoffs, it's the Islanders. But the question is, could they get there? That's the question, and I don't know. If Sorokin stands on his head like he did in the second half last year, maybe they could squeak into the playoffs. I thought they got robbed against Carolina. I think the first two games were stolen from them because just, the referees were just absolutely horrendous in those games. But nevertheless, hey, win, lose, or draw, you've you got to go out there and play the game. And, and the Islanders did not show up when they needed to show up, especially at home. So, And right now, uh, that loss last night at home was just horrendous. So uh, they have to play better at home. They need to... You know, put put the puck in the net, which they're probably the worst in the league right now. I think. Well, what are the? I think they're. I don't second. know the sharks. Well, the sharks are still the worst. Say, but... they still exist. Yeah, they finally won their <laughs> first game. Washington, I think, is the worst. They have twenty-one goals. Could you imagine that? They have uh, Ovechkin on the team, and they can't put the puck in the net. They have twenty-one goals. That's hor- That's horrible. And then you look at. I'm looking at the other teams. Dallas hasn't scored a lot of goals. They have thirty-two goals. And Calgary scored 32 goals, and the Edmonton Oilers, believe it or not, only have 29 goals. I well, mean, that's what happened when McDavid gets hurt. Yeah, and no then the depth. Sharks, and I don't, I don't count the yeah. Sharks because they're rebuilding. I, we all know what they're trying to do. They're trying to get the number one pick this year and move forward with this organization. They're trading off pieces, so we all know what the the Sharks are trying to do right now. So, and that's why I think, for what it's worth, yeah. For what it's worth, Will Cooley has more goals than uh, than Connor McDavid this year. I don't say we got to start a discussion or anything like that, but uh, you, you know, know McDavid being out, you know, and I know <laughs> Connor McDavid is going. Connor McDavid's going to win the MVP this year. Mm-hmm. I, he'll go yeah, on this forty five fifty. The guy will go on a, like a like a ten game streak where he has twenty goals. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. He's the best player in the world. Bedard looks like a player. We'll have to see how he develops over there in Chicago. Uh, but you know, Chicago and Edmonton always seem to get those picks and they fall right into their lap. And Buffalo too, but Buffalo yeah. doesn't know how to keep them. They don't know how to keep them. They don't know how to develop them really. Well, we'll see what happens. I, I, I think they ha- I think they have something over there in Buffalo. So uh, we'll see. But we really appreciate you, man. Uh, we, you do a great job right now, Forever Blue Shirts. I mean, check out Forever Blue Shirts. Uh, they have a great website uh, run by Anthony, you know, uh, Scoltari, who, uh, you know, I, when he does come on this show, I will rip him a new, new you-know-what. But I, I'll give him credit because finally he has something to brag about this year. The Rangers are good. But I'll tell him I am one of very few people that said hiring Peter Laviolette was going to change everything for the youngsters, and boy, has it ever. I, I think they're going to be a team to be, be, uh, be messing with this year. I just I question, are they going to be that in the playoffs? That's something that we'll have to see moving forward. I think Peter Laviolette has won a Stanley Cup, and he understands how to win. But the question is, can he win with this team? That could only be uh, taken into context when it happens. So uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. I, I think Igor Sesterkin is a great goalie. I think he's one of the top three, top four goalies in the league. And and obviously, if if he doesn't play, you have Jonathan Quick, who's won three Stanley Cups. He, well, two, really. I mean, he was part of that Vegas night. He was the fourth-string goalie as the motivational yeah, leader. Yeah, but nevertheless, I think he's a great leader on that roster, and I think he's going to help, and he's going to do wonders for Igor Shosturkin. So we really appreciate you, man. Keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. I hope you guys have a good one.
We will, and we'll have you on very, very soon as the season progressively moves forward. Uh, we'll we'll see who is in first and who is in second and who's in third. I would predict that the Islanders will fall. I'm going to say the Islanders are sitting right now at fourth. I think they'll fall to seven in the next seven to ten games. Okay, so that's my prediction. Uh, j- we'll not be, because we'll of the goaltending. Not because of their goaltending, but everything else. But thank you, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. Stephen Pappas, uh, forever blue shirts, great writer, great on hair talent, knows his hockey, knows his Rangers. Uh, Speedy, do you, do you know more about the Rangers than he does? I probably don't. You, bring up, uh... you, you always have a smile on your face. When I bring up the Rangers, it's like a smirk on your face. <laughs> he has something to smile about now. It's not the Mets. You're not smiling. No, I'm about not that. smiling about the Mets. I, I mean, mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I and not the Giants either. I, oh, God. <laughs> I'd be lucky. I'd be. I'd be lucky if I show any facial expression about the Giants. So I was just like, uh, all right, uh, let's fall asleep now. Oh, the Knicks are winning. <laughs> Good. Finally, one positive. One positive team or two positive teams with the Knicks and the Rangers. Well, I, I think Webinyana, and I, I like Webinyana. I think he's so over played as one of the best young talents the NBA's ever seen. I I I don't know why I know he has the size, I know he can shoot, I know he can do all those things, ball handle, everything. We do you remember a player that was drafted by Detroit in the Carmelo Anthony and LeBron James draft? Do you remember who I'm talking about? Darko Milicic. Darko Milicic. Remember that? Uh, yeah, ba- vaguely. It was a little before my time, but I remember uh, he had the he had a cool nickname though, the Human Victory Cigar. Yeah, he's a Human Victory Cigar. He's he's smoking right now. He's probably still playing in Europe at the age of forty five. So <laughs> I don't even think he's forty five. I think he's like in his late thirties, early forties. Yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe he's uh. I, the last time I heard, I think he was in Israel, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, uh, who know, Who knows? Maybe he's going to sign on. Uh, he's going to sign on with the with the Lakers at the end of his career. For all we know, because LeBron loves to take everyone from that draft. Boy, does he ever! <laughs> Boy, does he ever! Anyways, uh, so uh, we have the Michigan story, and we'll do that last. But I, I want to get into this. Zach Wilson, as I've been sitting back and I know everybody sitting here probably knows what I'm going to say about this kid. Okay, I'm not going to hold back on him at all. Now, Uh, there's nothing to hold back. First of all, for Robert Sala, and I'm going to say this very nicely for a coach that at one point I actually liked to sit there after a jet game. And you go up there and you talk to the press and uh, you, you put up your sad face. And, and if you read his lips on, you know, every single time Zach Wilson was running backwards, you can hear him. You can see his lips say, why didn't he throw it away? OK, and that's and that has to do with coaching, ladies and gentlemen. I, I have sit here for three years watching bad quarterback after bad quarterback, after bad quarterback. And I'm not talking about rookies. Three years. Last year, the Jets played not one, not two, not three, but four starting quarterbacks last year. And the Jets had how many touchdowns? Two interceptions. They threw more interceptions than touchdowns. I think it was 14 to 17 or something. (laughs) This year, Zach Wilson took over for Aaron Rodgers after four plays. After the most watched Monday night football game in NFL history, as we saw Aaron Rodgers carry around or run out with the American flag, 
as the fans screaming, the crowds, the movie stars, everybody was there, ladies and gentlemen, to watch Aaron Rodgers bust up the Buffalo Bills when we only saw four plays of the great Aaron Rodgers. And now he's trying to make a miraculous comeback as uh, he wants to be back in December if the Jets are a playoff contending team. We have watched over the last three weeks not only some of the worst quarterback play, but arguably one of the dumbest quarterbacks in NFL history. I don't want to hear about the, the Jets beating the Eagles because the Eagles did everything, did everything to give that game away to the New York Jets. And you, know, you listen to Jason Kelsey, and I, I know Jason Kelsey doesn't want to give the Jets any credit because uh, it was a horrible loss. But Jason Kelsey said it best. I give the Jets all the credit in the world, but it was our mistakes that gave that game away. And I, I argued that throughout the last couple of weeks, trying to find reasons on why the Jets won that game. Yes, they had a good defense. Did their defense play well in that game? They made a lot of mistakes. It was one of the sloppiest games. I would honestly say the last three games for the New York Jets, and they've won two out of the three of those games, it has been the sloppiest games I have ever seen in back-to-back-to-back NFL history of games. And that has a lot to do with the young quarterback. A young quarterback that moves inside and out of the pocket. He calls audibles at the line of scrimmage. And then, obviously, he gets penalty after penalty after penalty. Dropping and fumbling the ball. Throwing the ball away. Stepping outside of the pocket. Running backwards. Getting sacked. Losing 15, 16, 17, 20 yards every single time he runs backwards. And you sit here as a Jet fan and you try to figure out, well... He's growing as a quarterback, as the coaches would come out and say, as Joe Douglas has come out and say when he speaks to the press, whenever he speaks up to the press, saying that we see some potential in Zach Wilson. Let me ask you guys a question. When you watch a quarterback run backwards five, six times a game and get sacked, okay? And that has a lot to do with the offensive line. There is some deficiencies of what this offense has shown over the last couple of weeks. How could you sell me when you look at the yards loss to the yards gain by a, by a guy like Zach Wilson? And last, the, the game against, the this past week against um, the, Chargers. The, the Chargers, I'm sorry. He lost 68 yards. 68 yards to his, what was it? 140, 130 yards thrown in the game? 140 in, like, relevant time, and then he had, like, 70 garbage uh, let, let, yards. Let me, let me look up those numbers, okay? I, I think I he had, like, 206 passing yards, but 70 of it was the garbage time. I know Jet fans are going, or even fans out there that want to find ways to attack what I have to say about it, uh, because it was despicable, and nobody can make an excuse, an, an excuse for this team and this offense anymore, and I don't want to hear it from Robert Salah. Okay, Zach Wilson was 33 for 49, 263 yards. He he lost more than 68 yards. I'm sorry, he lost over 100 yards. It was 110 yards that he lost by running backwards in the game. So if you take that away, he had 153 yards or 163 yards, whatever it is. You sit here as a Jet fan, and you're trying to figure out where is the future to this team. You have a 39-year-old, 40-year-old quarterback coming off an Achilles injury who wants to come back in December. 
He will play next year and maybe the year after. You still have to pay him at least between 40 and $50 million in the next couple of years, a year. And you have all these young guys. You have all this young talent. You have Johnson, and you have Sauce, and you have Michael Carter, and you have Brees Hall, and you have Garrett Wilson. You have all these great young players that you can't pay, all of them. And you sit here, and Zach Wilson is making, what is it, $11, 12000000 million a year as a backup quarterback, as a rookie quarterback. I sit here today as a Jet fan, and I want to throw up, Okay. I don't want to hear about Robert Soller making excuses for this kid anymore. I don't want to hear Nathaniel Hackett go up. I don't want to hear Zach Wilson go out. We have a lot to clean up. No, you have a lot to clean up. You are the worst quarterback in the NFL. By far, you are the worst quarterback in history for the New York Jets. In the 60, really the 53, 54 years the Jets haven't won a Super Bowl, you are the worst, the worst of every single quarterback that was ever drafted by this organization, you were absolutely disgraceful on Monday Night Football in front of every single fan, every single person in the world. And you sit here after the game and say, we have a lot of work to do. There is no work. There is no cleaning up your garbage. There is no cleaning up your footwork. There is no cleaning up your throws. Last week with the New York Giants, they were making every, – every fan out there was saying, well, it was raining. It was wet out. Um, Tommy DeVito, okay, and he didn't have a good game. I would rather Tommy DeVito as my starting quarterback right now than Zach Wilson. It's crazy to say that. And everybody looks at his numbers, 33-49-2. Oh, that's not that bad. Oh, he didn't throw any interceptions. How many touchdowns has he thrown? He has thrown five. He has thrown three touchdowns in the last three games. You're talking about three NFL games. The New York Giants, guys. The New York Giants, who, by the way, is one of the worst Offensive teams right now in the NFL, you have only you could only square up 13 points against. Yes, you heard it. 13 points in regular time against the New York Giants. Okay? I am tired. I, I don't want to talk about Zach Wilson anymore as he's the future if he comes back. The Jets cannot bring him back next year. They have to go into the draft next year. Uh, this coming year, either in the second round, well, you, you're not going to get a second round draft pick, either in the first round, if you are going to keep that pick, and you're not going to trade for Devontae Adams, or in the third round or the fourth round, you cannot go into the season or the offseason expecting Zach Wilson to be your backup, because if you do it again next year, and you lose Aaron Rodgers to a torn ACL, or he tears his Achilles again, or he hurts his collarbone, or he breaks his balls, whoever, whatever happens to him next year, you cannot sell me Zach Wilson again. And by the way, if somehow this team doesn't win any more games this year or wins one or two games for the rest of the season, Robert Sala has to go. He has to go. I cannot sit here next year. I, you're going to have to bring Nathaniel Hackett back because Aaron Rodgers is going to demand it. But you do not have to bring Robert Sala back. I cannot sit here and say that Robert Sala is the future of this, this team. He is not. Okay, I have seen enough over the last couple of years to say that Robert Sala and and by the way, Steve Weich. Okay, got a lot of respect for you, dude. Got a lot of respect for you. For you to come out and say that Robert Sala should be up for Coach of the Year, it's a joke. Okay, Robert Sala has done nothing 
nothing that will show me that this man knows what he is doing or actually understands what his team is all about. This team is a great defensive, but it's not because of him. Because he doesn't even look, you know, Josh is very right about it. How many times have we seen Robert Sala look at his play calling? Have we seen it once in the last couple of weeks? He has sat there with his nice dark beard, standing there, pretty boy himself, standing there screaming at the referees, screaming and and cursing on the sidelines, and not doing anything to his quarterback. How could you put your quarterback in in the second half when your quarterback looked like crap? He was garbage, and you can't sell it. You have Garrett Wilson, one of the more prolific, talented offensive wide receivers we've seen the Jets have ever had, and the guy has not been the ball, he hasn't had the ball thrown to him more than five, six times in the last three weeks. How many guests have we had on, too? Even last year said that the New York Jets would make the playoffs if they had Case Keenum, or like see these other random backup quarterback that just is serviceable enough to be able to make it in in the NFL. Case Keenum took a Vikings team in the playoffs in 2017. That was just an example of that. Then you've seen it with Blake Bortles and all these other guys. Like, any one of those guys would have gotten the Jets into the playoffs last year and should get them in the playoffs this year because we've seen the Jets do some good things defensively. We've seen the Jets do well in close games. And you're right. It's not because of Zach Wilson. It's because of their defense. It's because of their, I guess, receivers being clutch enough at certain points. But it's not because of that. And it's interesting because Robert Sala was on the 49ers when the 49ers had a lot of quarterbacks quarterback injuries, a lot, a lot of quarterback carousels. We've seen them go from Nick Mullins to C.J. Beathard, obviously trading for Jimmy G's, and then he gets hurt, and now the whole Trey Lance saga. Like, you would think you would come from a, a team that says, all right, we know when it's, it's time to switch a quarterback, and you thought he would be able to evolve to do that, but that hasn't been the case this year either, and the Jets, like you were saying in the offseason, maybe should have gone after a third quarterback that wasn't Tim Boyle, just because Tim Boyle was just on the Packers forever, too. There's enough teams getting veteran quarterbacks to make the trade earlier than expected when these quarterback injuries go down. There's a lot of quarterback injuries. Carlson Wentz was available. Right. He, where's he go? Rams. He goes to the Rams. <laughs> I mean, you had a chance to bring in Carlson Wentz. Carlson Wentz's agent reached out to you. Matt Ryan's agent, he, he's sitting right now in a press box, reached out to you two weeks in after Aaron Rodgers got hurt and said that I'll come out of retirement. Bring me in. And he said no. Because he thought that Zach Wilson was good enough to take this team until Aaron Rodgers came back to December or January when they would be a maybe a borderline playoff team. Zach Wilson is is honestly the worst quarterback I've ever seen. I'm I'm I have stuck up for him long enough. I cannot stick up for him anymore. I can't sell that Zach Wilson is going to figure it out. The guy's got tremendous talent. I, I think he's got. Everything that Patrick Mahomes has, maybe just maybe even more, okay, as far as all around talent, but we'll never know because the kid has his head so far up his ass. I cannot sell it anymore. And for any Jet fan that's trying to sell it, shame on you, okay? Shame on anybody to think that this kid is going to figure it out. He's never going to figure it out. He is garbage. He belongs in the garbage. And if anything, he's more of a cabbage patch kid who belongs there, okay? (laughs) That's what he is. He's a pretty boy that sleeps with moms. That's it. That's all he sells to me. That's all it's going to sell to me. I believe Zach Wilson will go down as the worst statistic quarterback we have ever seen in NFL history. Wow, that bad. Even over Christian Hackenberg. 
at least Christian Hackenberg could throw touchdowns. Oh, he also could uh, hit reporters with the football, too. Zach Wilson, maybe that's the last thing on his bucket list. He has to hit a reporter. Then he'll solidify himself as the worst quarterback in Jets history. Oh, I'm reading something. Uh, shout out to Eric Martini. Wow, says, yeah, I'm surprised you're giving him so much credit. Robert Solitz dis- dismisses Zach Wilson's conspiracy theory linked to the Jets brass. I don't know anything Conspiracy about this. Conspiracy theory. I, I don't know what this story is about. I'll read it, and I'll talk about it tomorrow. Thank you to Eric Martini. But uh, supposedly, uh, there's a conspiracy theory here. I, I, I don't know what it is. Here's my conspiracy theory. If the Jets don't pull this kid, if he has another bad half against Vegas on Monday night, I mean, I'm sorry, Sunday night football on another primetime game where it, it absolutely shows the Jets to be incompetent, I, I really think Robert Sala should be fired and, and Zach Wilson should be dropped at the end of the game. There is no way you can sell me two back-to-back primetime games in front of the world, millions and millions of people, where you played the Chargers, where they're one of the worst, if not the worst, secondary in football, uh-huh. okay? And then you go against Vegas, who, by the way, at one point – was the word? I, I th- let me bring up Vegas's numbers. The Vegas's pass defense has actually been pretty good this year. The Vegas Raiders defense is ranked twentieth in the league, to the Jets sixth in all of football. The Jets passing is thirty second in all of football, worst, and rushing is twentieth. How do you have Brees Hall? How do you have one of the more dominant running backs in the league who is so elusive and very hard to take down? How do you how are you ranked twentieth in all of the NFL in all of football when you have a dynamic player of that magnitude? Here's the reason why. They decide Nathaniel Hackett decides to throw the ball 90% of the time, then run the ball. When you have the worst quarterback efficient player on the field. I, I am I'm tired of talking about this team. I am saddened. As a, as a Jet fan, because I cannot sell this anymore. This is one of the worst offensive teams with one of the best defensive teams I have ever seen in NFL history. Mm-hmm. This is a really bad... You have one of the top, probably top five defenses in all of football to the worst offense in football. They're ranked 32nd. How many teams are there in the NFL, Speedy? 32. They are the worst offense. Even the Giants... Okay, are ranked higher than the Raiders, who had Josh McDaniels as their coach, is ranked 23rd in all of the NFL. That tells you how bad Zach Wilson is. I don't want to hear that he threw 263 yards against uh, the Chargers because that is the worst, worst defense secondary in all of football. Mm-hmm. And if you look at his percentages, here, here we're gonna go. completion percentage, 1,600 yards, five touchdowns, five interceptions. This guy is going to throw more interceptions than touchdowns this year. Once again, I cannot sell this, and and I do not want to see him on the sidelines next year. If he's the backup quarterback for the New York Jets next year, I'm done with the Jets. Mm. I am not a Jet fan anymore. I am not going to sit here and try to be – 
a fan of some team that absolutely is oblivious to who they are as an organization and what the quarterback position entails. The Chargers defense, to put it in perspective, is the third worst against the pass. They were the worst coming into the week, and I think they uh, I heard somewhere that there have been, I think, five 400-yard passing games this season, and three of them have come against the Chargers, and yet Zach Wilson couldn't do that against this week. And if they do that again this week, at least the volume-wise against the Raiders, they're going to be in trouble because, I mentioned, the Raiders' pass defense has actually been pretty good. They're ninth in the league right now. Guess where they are against the run? They're last. Run the ball. The Giants are actually ranked 25th. They're actually one spot ahead of the Raiders, I think. Yeah, the Raiders offense, it finally took them a while to actually score 30 points in a game. So just, let's just go at the Giants offense. So, so I'll just show you how bad Zach Wilson is. The Giants don't have a legitimate number one. The Giants don't have a number two. Okay, they don't have a legitimate number one or number two wide receiver. Okay. They have Saquon Barkley, who's missed three games of the season. All right? They have Daniel Jones that has missed two games out of the eight games that they've played this year. They had Tyrod Taylor, who's now played in how many games? Three? Barely that. And okay. now he's three back Three games, on two and a half games. You have Tommy DeVito as your starting quarterback. Matt Barkley as your backup quarterback. These are guys that you're probably never going to see on an NFL field again if it wasn't for the Giants. And they're ranked seven spots over the New York Jets who have Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, two of of the best talents at their positions in all of the league. That tells me one thing. Zach Wilson is that bad. Tommy DeVito would be better on the New York Jets throwing to Garrett Wilson, who, by the way, he barely throws, and uh, Tommy DeVito, yeah. and, 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 and passing and giving the ball and handing the ball off to Brees Hall than Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson is that bad. He is that bad. And I don't want to hear about the offensive line. Yes, it's horrendous. Yes, but when you're counting one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, and you're giving a quarterback 4.2 seconds to throw the ball – most quarterbacks, efficient quarterbacks, can get the ball out in three seconds. So you're scoping up the field, calling audibles at the line of scrimmage where you don't even know where you're throwing the ball. You can't even see the open guys because you're blind and, and any baby could sit there. I could tell you this. A peewee football player could probably throw the ball better than him. I, I Honestly, he is the worst BYU quarterback that's ever come out of BYU. And that says a lot. His brother will never make it into the NFL. You know why? Because after his, his brother Zach has shown to be a terrible quarterback in the NFL, no matter how good he is in BYU, he's still going to be looked at as a horrible prospect. So good riddance to the, I don't know, the Wilson family. I'm not talking about Garrett Wilson. The Zach Wilson mother-loving families. <laughs> and get out of here. Go hang out and... JetBlue with your family, because your family owns JetBlue, and just sit there and take the money that the Jets practically fed you, because you suck! I don't know if he's even good enough for uh, any other contending team's practice squads right now. I wipe my ass off. Okay? I would wipe my ass with toilet paper and and, and play quarterback. As a matter of fact, I would take Dan Marino out of retirement at the age of, what, 60-something years old? I would take Joe Montana at the age of 65. I would take any... i take Eli Manning out of retirement. How many started quarterbacks throwing left-handed, or in Tua's case, their opposite hand, would you take over Zach Wilson? I would take any quarterback or backup quarterback in the NFL over Zach Wilson. 
That's how bad he is, okay? He is that bad. And and I don't care. And I know a lot of people, a lot of Jet fans are going to say the same thing I am. Or uh, a lot of Jet fans will find a way to make excuses for him. Oh, the offensive line stinks. Or they're double-teaming Garrett Wilson. Or Brees Hall is not getting fed the ball. Or it's Nathaniel Hackett's fault. Or maybe Robert Sala had his head so far up his ass because his beard is growing out another way. I don't know. Maybe his beard's growing out of his ass, and that's why he's, uh, you know, that's why he's dying his beard and trying to take all the grays out of his hair. Because honestly, if he actually had hair, he'd have gray hair. Because if anybody could sit there without being stressed out of your mind, watching this defense dominate the line of scrimmage, shut down Justin Herbert as long as they did throughout the game. Justin Herbert is one of the best young quarterbacks in all of football, in all of football, and he had his worst, his worst NFL start in his career, and you can't pull out a win, and you can only put up a six spot against a defense that's one of the worst in the league, shame on you as an organization. Shame on you as a head coach and a coaching staff. You guys should be ashamed of yourself. And if you're going to go out there on Sunday Night Football and lay up a lousy goose egg in the first quarter, by the way, and by the way, special teams, how do you give up? How do you give up a punt return I, I, yeah, it was a punt return, right? Yep. It was a. It, it was, was the first Chargers punt return touchdown since 2019. How could you be the first team in almost, what is it, three years? I think it was four years. Four years. 2019. Four years to be a, a, a special teams, by the way, which has been one of the better special teams in the league this year. Okay? Yep. Maybe to, Darren Bennett sparked them by saying to, yeah, they've been one of the worst. show up <laughs> in the game and lay a lousy goose egg. The offense laid a lousy goose egg. The special teams, the defense did what they needed to do. They they shut down what they needed to do. It, it, when you are on the field, uh, I think 48 minutes of the game, and your quarterback cannot complete a pass or do anything right. And and by the way, for everybody to make a joke uh, the week before with the Giants where he had 24 seconds and he brought the Jets down to 24 seconds, uh, to think that because he did that, it was good enough to to win a game and, and try to sell that to the Jet fan and say that you can you still have something in Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson will never be an efficient quarterback on this team. He will never be an efficient quarterback in the NFL. He's going to go home in you know in Utah, work the farm because that's where he he belongs, or work for his uncle and Jet Jet Blue as a. I don't know what he's going to do. Concessioning? Zach, I, I, Zach Wilson's going to try to attempt a bad to, boy. Zach Wilson's going to attempt to fly a plane, then he'll go on the launch. He'll 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 launch the plane for takeoff, and it'll crash. He's horrible, man. He's absolutely horrendous. I I, I don't ever want to hear about Zach Wilson. If he plays another half like that, I don't ever want to see him on the field for the New York Jets again. I would rather see Boyle, or Trevor Trevor Simeons, one of these guys. I don't care. Bring Trevor Trevor Simeons hasn't played on an NFL field in two years. I take tre- Trevor Simeons off the practice squad. I bet you he'd be another. Uh, uh, Mike White, okay, he'd be just as good as Mike White was last year when he came when he came up and he, he played as well as he did. It, it's just horrendous. It's horrendous quarterback play, and I'm done with the New York Jets. I'm done. I'm done with them. They're done. They're, the Jets are done. Any Jet fan that thinks that the Jets are going to pull off and stay 500 to get into December with Zach Wilson, you guys are blind. Yeah, you guys are blind. There is no way. They're going to be 500 by December. They are going to be probably five games out after December. You have to play Miami. 
I think it's back-to-back weeks. Miami, yeah, two out of three. You've got to play the Buffalo Bills one more time. Granted, they're struggling, too. Um, Atlanta is a tough matchup for them. That I know they've struggled, too, but they do a lot of the things that the Jets are weak at, and that could be a tough matchup for them. And, yeah, they still got to play Miami twice. And in the NFC, NFC South, or no, NF, NFC East, they still got to play... No, they played Dallas already. So Washington, that's really it, is the only tough matches. But the Browns, that's going to be a tough defense, too, that they got to play as well. So good luck with uh, Zach Wilson against that Browns defense, which has been the best in the league. <sighs> I, I can't watch this team anymore. See, I can't. see Zach, Zach Wilson, when he plays the Browns the defense, doesn't have to. he'll just go down in one second. I don't even know if I'm going to watch Sunday Night Football. I, I, I don't want to be disgraced again on national television. I, I've I've seen enough. I've seen enough of this team. The excuses. Nathaniel Hackett uh, said he was at the press conference today. He was there talking to the press and and saying this is not all Zach's fault. This is the team. Yeah, okay. Are are we watching the same game? I mean, are we? I mean, you're you're an offensive coordinator. I mean, you were coaching an MVP back to back years. I mean, your coach played Bortles and did a pretty good job. I, I mean. If you're going to sit here, I understand you're you're trying to protect your player. It's time to be honest with the fans. It's it's time to be honest. He's horrible. And and for you to try to make excuses while he's better, he's more efficient than he was last year. He has he's five touchdowns and five interceptions and that's more efficient. You were the number 2 pick Trevor Lawrence, okay? Was the number 1 pick. You were I thought you were going to be better than Trevor Lawrence. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is not as good as we thought he was going to be. I mean, Trevor Lawrence also had generational hype, too. I mean, this kid is is horrible. He is really, really bad. Yeah, and, and you can blame the offensive line all you want. It's not like they haven't had good games all this year. Besides the Chiefs game, where's Zach Wilson's good game? Oh, my God. I, I don't know what Nathaniel Hackett is thinking when he's going up there trying to talk to the press. I mean... Costello was up there today. He asked questions, uh, you know, on you know his thoughts of where the Jets are as an organization, as a team, with Zach Wilson under the quarterback helm. I mean, there's nothing that, you know, as a fan that would tell me and make me think that Zach Wilson will ever figure things out. He's never going to figure things out. I think he's he. I think he's lost. I, I really do. I think honestly, the Jets just need to part ways with him. Just like the 49ers did with Trey Lance. I, he's, he was a bust. He, he was a bust. And Joe Douglas made a mistake. And if you look at his drafts, even after that, they're good. I mean, Zach Wilson has been his worst pick. It really has. I oh, mean, yeah. even Bryce Hall is figuring things out, you know, as a, as a corner right now. He's going to get a big contract next year. Somebody's going to bring him in as a second corner. When he has played for the Jets, he's been pretty good. What he did against the Eagles was pretty damn good. So, I, I mean, I just... There are mistakes that the Jets have made over the last couple of years. This is arguably the worst mistake in this organization's history. Okay, it, it's it's been that bad. I, I I don't know what to say more about him. I, I I feel bad for the kid because he's going to be looked at as a Ryan Leaf. He he's that bad. I mean, he's worse than Ryan Leaf. Yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Russell. Uh, you remember Jamarcus Russell. Jamarcus Russell with the, the Raiders. I mean. He, he was better than Zach Wills. I mean, if you go up and down these quarterbacks that were drafted in the top three, I mean, Sam Darnold, the Jets made a big mistake letting him go and trading him away. I mean, they did get a second. Uh, I think a they fourth, got a second yeah. and fourth for him. I You did get something for him, but Sam Darnold would be in a better – put the Jets in a better position right now to succeed. I, I just 
it, I wanted to throw up on Monday night. It, it was disgusting. I mean, even the Jet fans that were sitting at the bar were trying to make excuses. I, Leaf could tell you. I mean, I, I told Leaf after the, <laughs> after the first half, I'm done. It's like, I've eaten my wings. I wanted to throw them up. I went home. I didn't put the TV on. I just, I knew that uh, they were not. And, and by the way, this Giant fan was sitting right next to me and Brittany. I'll never forget this. And he's sitting there. He's like, oh, the defense, was, all they need is a pick six. I was like, after they were down 14 to nothing, I said, the Jets will not score seven points in this game. They will not get a touchdown in this game. And he said, he's like, oh, you can't, you can't think that way. I was like, dude. I will put money on the line right now. I'll give. I'll put a hundred dollars on it that the Jets will not get a touchdown in this game. And what was I? I was right. They had six points. Six points in that game. And by the way, they should have kicked another field goal. But our friend Zach Wilson on the thirty-five yard line decided to run backwards to the fifty. So thank you to Zach for giving us such a display of great quarterback play which was absolutely disgusting, despicable. And for the Jet fans to sit there, I would have left the game. I would have completely emptied out that game because I knew we were going to lose. So that's it. Done. Um, Anyways, when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to NHL.com, deputy managing editor and host of the NHL Draft Class podcast, Adam Kimmelman, here on the Sports Loudmouth. You're you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouth. Oh, Adam's got a good song. Wasn't like the 70s right there. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You're listening to the Sports Loud Mouth. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speeder, Speedy Petey. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouth, which airs every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. All you have to do is go to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out our local listings throughout our website. Now, I want to apologize to our, our friend over here. He has been on our show. It just shows you how lost I really am with the Zach Wilson story. But we're happy to have him on again. We are now talking to NHL.com, Deputy Managing Editor and host of the NHL Draft Class Podcast, Adam Kimmelman. Adam, what's up, man? I'm good. How are you guys doing? And I can I can empathize. You know, I work in Manhattan a few days a week. I have a lot of guys that I work with are Jets fans. I, 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 can, uh, I can empathize with the pain. Well, I like the word empathize, but I, I, I think there's other words to express our feelings towards it. <laughs> I, I just don't want to say it on live they air. Used other word, they used other words, too. Don't well, worry. I, I, as we went to break, I was telling you know our, one of our writers over here, and, and obviously Speedy, uh, about my feelings towards what I really wanted to say on live radio. But uh, I would probably get thrown off, and, and people would probably uh, shut me down. On, on that. So I will not do that, ladies and gentlemen. I will be calm and collective as a professional. But let's get into some hockey. We, we just had Forever Blue Shirts uh, writer and on-air talent, Stephen Pappas. Uh, the Rangers are right now one of the hotter teams. Besides the Vegas Knights, I think the Rangers, Colorado, and the Vegas Knights have been three, and, and I'm sorry, the Boston Bruins, have been four of the best teams in the league. What has stood out to you so far with the New York Rangers with Peter LaViolette? Well, I, I kind of expected him to play more of an up-tempo style because that's how Peter's always been throughout his, his career, throughout his stops. You know, it's a style of play that players really enjoy playing because it accentuates the offense. He wants guys up the ice. He wants attacks and waves of five. 
wants a defenseman involved. He wants everybody involved. Doesn't matter if you're a top line guy like Artemi Panarin, a fourth line guy like Barkley Gaudreau, you're a third pair D. It doesn't matter. You have to get up in the play. You have to contribute to the offense. So that's a style of play that everybody can sort of get behind. And then when you combine that with, you know, world-class goaltending from Igor Shosturkin and Jonathan Quick has been very good when those guys have been healthy, you have the recipe for a lot of success in, in very short order. And this is why, you know, Laviolette's success, uh, teams have been so successful, certainly in his first season with just about everywhere he's been. So I wanted to ask you, being a prospect guy, you evaluate a lot of these NHL draft people. Uh, Brennan Othman and then uh, Bedard, Brett Bedard for the Rangers farm system, both played very well in Hartford so far this year. Could you see a scenario where they end up getting called up, or is it where the Rangers are not going to mess with what's working for them right now? Well, I think with those two guys in particular, certainly with Othman, they're top nine guys, right? So you don't want to just call them up and put them in a fourth line role where they're only going to get six or seven minutes a night. You're not helping them at all. You're not helping in their development to becoming what you want them to become. So the choice becomes, do you put them in the NHL just to say you have them on your roster or do you allow them to stay in Hartford, play, you know, top line minutes, first power play, which they obviously would not get with the Rangers and just continue to build their confidence, get used to playing pro hockey. The Rangers are in a position now where they don't need to rush their young prospects into the NHL because so many of their guys are still in their prime right now. You know, you know, Lafreniere has looked better. Kako has looked better. Heedle, when he's been healthy, has looked better. You know, you've got Panarin, you've got Kreider, you've got Zibanejad. You know, where would you squeeze one of those guys in? Better to let them stay in Hartford and, and continue to get better, understand what pro hockey's like, kind of move along with that transition where they're playing big minutes, but they don't have the pressure and the spotlight of being in the NHL. As everybody knows, we are talking to NHL.com Deputy Managing Editor and host of the NHL Draft Class Podcast, Adam Kimmelman. Adam, the Boston Bruins, they're playing great hockey. A lot of people were questioning uh, losing all the different pieces that they lost in the offseason. Patrice Bergeron retires, and everybody says, oh, this first line's not going to be as dominant. Well, the first line is still pretty dominant. Uh, They have some of the best defensive pairings in the league. Uh, what has really been the standout so far uh, in their 10-1, 21-point season so far? Well, I, I think it's a combination of the fact that they're getting contributions from so many people. Like I was one of those people who said, you know, I thought the Bruins could still be a playoff team because of what they have in goal, which I think is the best goaltending tandem in the league in Jeremy Swamman and Linus Olmark. You know, you're talking about the Vesna Trophy winner from last season and a guy who arguably is just as good, if not better, in, in in Swayman. So, you know, when you start with that and then you just sort of work your way forward, they it's remarkable to see that they haven't missed a beat. It's remarkable to see that, you know, they've gotten contributions from up and down the line. They're averaging more than three goals a game, but they're also allowing fewer than two. If you can play to that level and it doesn't look like anything can – shake them from that, they're going to have a chance to be a very good team. I think at the end of the day, they're probably not going to win the division. I think they're off to a great start now, and that's fantastic for them. But I think they definitely have cemented themselves as a legitimate playoff team and any sort of drop-off that we are expecting. Look, they could finish 40 40 points worse from where they were last season and still be about a 95-point team. So that tells you with the season they had last year. Now, you take Bergeron, you take Kretschy out of that lineup, assuming Marchand and Pasternak 
and Coyle and McAvoy when he gets back from suspension stay healthy, assuming the goaltending stays healthy. I don't know if they're the best team in that division over 82 games, but they certainly have the looks of a playoff team and a team that, you know, will have as much of an opportunity to go deep in the playoffs this season as they did last season. So a team that had a lot of hype was the Devils. Now they lose Jack Hughes for a month, maybe even more than that on long-term IR, and they've had issues with defense and goaltending this year. Are you worried about the Devils right now, especially in what has been a, a tough top half of that Metro? No, because I think they, they play well enough. They play a solid enough team game, and they have, you know, they still have some skill in that lineup in Timo Meyer and Tyler Toffoli and Jesper Bratt where they can still produce enough offensively to win games for them. I think, to me, the question is always going to be in goal. Can Vitek Vanacek or Akira Schmid step up and be that number one guy who can carry a team for, you know, weeks and weeks on end? So far, they've been okay. You know, they have their, they're have a plus one goal differential, which doesn't really give you great feelings when it comes to the goaltending. They've been okay. They haven't been great. They haven't been bad. They've just been okay. If they can get an improvement in that area from, you know, wherever they want to get, whether it's internal or external, to me, that's the only area where if I'm a New Jersey Devils fan that I'm a little bit concerned about. Because I think everywhere else, they're in good shape. Hughes and Heischer are going to come back at some point. They have great depth on defense. They have real good depth up front. I worry about the goaltending a little bit, though. Adam, the Ottawa Senators, who have a very good young team, I thought they were going to be a lot better than they are right now. I know it's early. Uh, they did win tonight. They did beat Toronto. Not surprised because they always play well against Toronto. The bottom, the battle of uh, you know uh, Ontario, Ontario over there. But nevertheless, uh, Ottawa um, Kachuk came out uh, over the uh, the weekend and said, well, actually this week, and said what he felt about the team and how uh, they they should be playing better. I mean, they've. He's really the captain of this team. He's he's really pushed this team uh, forward. And and now there are a lot of questions. Maybe maybe Kachuk could be traded this year. They can get a lot back for him. I don't know if Ottawa would be willing to do that. But this is an organization that likes to trade a pieces away. Where do you see this team? Do you think Ottawa would trade Brady Kachuk if 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 the right uh, offer comes along? Well, all right. Let me couch this by saying that. If Wayne Gretzky can get traded, anybody can get traded. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get that old canard out of the way. I do not envision any scenario where the Ottawa Senators consider trading Brady Kachuk under any circumstances, barring an offer, you know, of, of McDavid and Dreisaitl. Really? I, I think he's that important to what they, who they are and what they're building there and, and, and the future they have. And, and look, they, are, they, they did win tonight, and that's great. They are struggling right now. The expectations were for them to be far higher up the standings than they are right now. They're eighth place in the, in the Atlantic. The expectations were they would be not just competing for a playoff spot, they would be competing for a top three spot in that division. They are not there. They've already, got, they've already fired their general manager. They're missing Shane Pinto, who they kind of expected would be a top six guy for them for at least the first 41 games of the season because of the, the sports wagering suspension. You know, they're missing three of their top six defensemen. You know, Thomas Shabbat is out with a broken hand. Eric Branson is out with a concussion. You know, they've had a lot of injuries to deal with. They've had some, you know, they fired their general manager. Pierre Dorian was let go. You know, and he's a guy that, that built that group. There's a lot of respect for him in that room. And now he's gone. So there is some turmoil and some upheaval there 
that needs to be addressed. But I, I just think we're 11 games into an 82-game season. Nobody's clinching a playoff spot tomorrow. Nobody's being eliminated from the playoffs tomorrow. They're one game under 500. I wouldn't just write the Ottawa Senators off quite yet and just, you know, assume they're going to miss the playoffs again. It's a good team. It's a deep team. You know, you look at, at Kachuk, Stutzla, Giroux, Batherson, Josh Norris. That's a good group up front. They have a goalie they can depend on in Corpusalo. When they get the defense healthy, I think you're going to see that team. They have the ability in them to put a big run together. You know, I know the Bruins have a five-point lead in that division. Tampa Bay is still Tampa Bay. The Leafs are a very talented group. And you've got the defending Eastern Conference champions, the Florida Panthers, there in that division. But I'm telling you, I really believe that division is wide open. You can make a case right now for probably seven of those eight teams to finish first this season. I'll, I'll take the Montreal Canadiens out of that equation. <laughs> but you can make the argument that six, maybe seven, if you, can, if, you can, if you think the Detroit Red Wings can be legit contenders, I'm not 100% sure there, but you can really make the case for six or seven of those teams winning that division. And the Ottawa Senators absolutely would be in the equation for me. We're barely a tenth of the way through the season. There's a lot of hockey left to play. So Connor Bedard obviously getting all the hype this offseason as this generational talent, the next thing since Sidney Crosby. What are your early impressions of him so far? I think he's done about as well as you could hope. Um, he's a guy who does not have a lot to work with. Our co- my, my colleague Tracy Myers, who's out in Chicago, wrote a story today about how he's played with just about every forward on that roster at this point in the season. You know, he leads them in scoring. He leads them with five goals. He leads tie, He's tied for the team lead with Corey Perry with seven points. He's playing a ton. He's playing more than 19 minutes a night, which in all honesty is probably more than an 18-year-old, barely 18-year-old, I should add. He only turned 18 in September, at the end of August. Bare, way more than he should probably be playing at this point in his career. He has done exceptionally well, I think, on the ice, off the ice. You know, it, it's a, that's a tough spot he is in that Chicago team is not very good he doesn't have a lot around him and the hype machine can be suffocating he's in a big city a major media market and he is the center of attention everywhere he goes because of who he is the skill he has the reputation he created for himself and to be honest the way he's played early this season he's earned a lot of that attention and a lot of those accolades but he has handled it all better than certainly better than I could at age 18. So I think he's had an outstanding start to the season. And I think you're seeing the foundation of what's going to be a sensational NHL career. Just wait till he gets bigger and a little bit stronger and he gets used to what life in the NHL is like. He's 11 games into his career and he already looks like he's going to be a superstar. So yeah, I think he's been great. I think he's, he's had a wonderful start to the season and I think they're very lucky in Chicago to have a, a foundational piece to build around there. Well, thank uh, the NHL for giving them to him. <laughs> we are talking. Well, that's the lottery. You know, sometimes yeah. the ping pong balls bounce your way. Yeah, uh, well, well. You know, I, I, I don't. You know how I me. feel about that. <laughs> well, I don't subscribe. There, there are no conspiracy theories. Look, you can find the video. You can watch the lottery. You can watch the drawings. You can watch the ping pong balls as they popped out. So if anybody's wondering, you know, the old Patrick Ewing frozen envelope, 
Doesn't exist, didn't happen. We are talking to NHL.com, deputy managing editor and host of the NHL Draft Class podcast, Adam Kimmelman. Adam, a team that's really stuck out to me so far this early season in 12 games is the Vancouver Canucks. A young team that traded away their superstar in Bo Horvat at the trade deadline to the New York Islanders. They added Anthony Bavillier. He played just as well as Bo Horvat. They're young, they're fast, and they're so fun to watch. Uh, you have... Uh, a young kid like Quinn Hughes that's becoming a star right in front of our eyes. He's been a star, but he's becoming even bigger of a, star, a bigger star than we've ever thought he was going to be. I mean, this team is fun to watch. What are your thoughts to the Vancouver Canucks? Well, I've had the chance to watch them in person when they came through Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago, and they are they, – they, I said before the season started, to me, they were a definitely a playoff team. I think you look at the talent they have, you look at the coaching they're getting, they're playing with structure something they really haven't had, you know, going back a couple of coaches, a couple of years now. You know, Bruce Boudreaux is a wonderful coach, but there was no structure there. Rick Tockett came in and he said, this is how we're going to play. This is how we're going to play in the defensive zone. We're going to use that. We're going to turn that into offense. And if you don't get along with how we're going to play, you're not going to see the ice. Simple. And guys have bought in and they have bought in in a big, big way. You look at Elias Patterson, second in the league in scoring. Quinn Hughes is, I believe, tied for fourth among all players in scoring. He's got as many points as his brother Jack does. You know, JT Miller has really, you know, established himself as a shutdown center. You know, Brock Besser is, is not that his body was good, his spirit, his mind. There were some off-ice issues he had to get straightened out. Some real, you know, his father was very sick for a long time and unfortunately passed away. He's been able to sort of move past that, and he's back to becoming, you know, 10 goals in 12 games. He is back to becoming the the 30-40 goal scorer he's capable of being. You know, their top defense pair with Hughes and Philip Peronik might be the best defensive pair in the league right now. So they have their deep up front. They're, They're playing real well on the back end. Thatcher Demko, healthy, looks like a star goaltender. And, and I think it, a lot of it, though, goes back to Rick Tockett and the structure he has them playing in. And Tockett always has been a, one of the real top hockey minds. He played in the league for a very long time. He won a Stanley Cup as an assistant in, in Pittsburgh. He's been a coach before. He was a coach in Tampa. He was a coach in Arizona. But this is the first time he's really been in a situation as a head coach where he's had a real solid group around him. And a re- he was put in a place where he could win. He really didn't have the op. He wasn't put in a good position with the roster that he had in Tampa back in, you know, 2008 and 2009. You know, Arizona was in a real tough spot when he was there. But now he's in a real solid environment. You know, Jim Rutherford, the president of hockey operations, Patrick Alvine, the general manager. He goes back to Pittsburgh with those guys. They know what he's about. They know what kind of players Tockett needs to have the Canucks be successful. And they've built the roster that is very deep, up front, plays with structure, plays smart, and now you're just seeing the results. They're a fun team, and they're going to be a very dangerous team. You know, they're off they're, – they've won nine of their first 11, nine of their first 12. Mm-hmm. I, 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 could, I think this is absolutely sustainable if they stay healthy. So another fun young team to watch this year has been the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, one, of, I think, I think the second youngest roster coming into the year. They lead the league in comeback wins. They beat the Bruins. They beat Vegas for their first, like, regulation losses of the season. How sustainable do you think it is for them? That's a great question. I'm not 100% sure. You know, to your point, they are a fun team to watch, and they're going to continue to be fun as we move forward here because their prospect pipeline is is so deep. 
It runs deep up front. It runs deep on the back end. They had the defenseman of the year in the Ontario League, the Quebec League, and the Western Hockey League last season. <laughs> two of those guys are in the – one of those guys is in the NHL right now. That's Pavel Minchikov, who I believe leads all rookie defensemen in scoring. Tristan Luno has been on the roster. I think right now he's in San Diego on a conditioning stint. And Olin Zellweger, who was the best defenseman in the Western League and the CHL, I think he scored 25 goals last season. He's playing in the American League as he continues to adjust to pro hockey, get a little bit more physically stronger. But just those three guys, plus what they have coming up through the system. You know, they have they add Leo Carlson into the lineup, the second pick in the draft this year, along with Mason McTavish, along with Trevor Zegers, along with Troy Terry. They are a fun team to watch. They're well-coached. They play a, a very strong style despite their age. You know, I think Greg Cronin seems to have found a really good touch with this team. You know, 60 years old, he gets his first chance to be a head coach in the NHL. And he's got a team that that really is playing hard for him, playing well for him. They've gotten really good goaltending from um, from John Gibson and um, oh goodness, the the backups flipped my mind. It's Leo, I forget his last name. But they're getting you know those two guys. They've split the goaltending duties between you know between the two guys between Gibson and Lucas Dostal, and both guys have given them you know both guys are playing to a nine twenty save percentage, so. You know, they're they're in good shape right now, and they're going to be in good shape moving forward. I don't know if they're a playoff team this te- this season, but it's not going to be long before you see them go on a sustained run of playing deep into April, May, and even June. Last question for me. There is a team that's not fun to watch, and here they're on – they're playing in Long Island, and that's the New York Islanders. I mean, watching them is watching – I, I I don't know what you call it. I mean, uh, Lane Lambert uh, to me has been an absolute. Uh, I, I don't even know what you say uh, as a head coach. I mean, he takes over and he has been not good for the island. I know they made the playoffs last year, but they haven't been good. I spoke to Lou Lamorello over the summer. I said, well, you know, what do you think about this team moving forward? I mean, you have one of the best goalies in the world. Yeah, you, you, you brought in. Pierre Engvall, you added some speed, but I, I wouldn't sign him in the offseason. He did. He gave him a seven-year deal. I I didn't think they were going to bring Mayfield back. They bring Mayfield back. They give him an extension, an extent, a long time extension, a long-term extension. I look at the Islanders right now. They have no speed, and honestly, I don't know where their future is because their farm system. They don't draft first-round draft picks. They haven't drafted a first-round draft pick in three years. Where is this team? What is this team? Are they a playoff team this year? Well, they have two outstanding goaltenders. That's that's it. <laughs> and that's, well, you know, and those two outstanding goaltenders can take them a long way. Look, they're not bereft of talent when you look at what they have up front between Harvat, you know, starting with Matthew Barzell and then Horvat and Palmieri and Nelson, Engvall, you know, Pajot, Anders Lee. They just need more from more guys. They, I mean, goodness, if Oliver Wallstrom could play to his talent level, you know, he, he's got the skills to be a 2025 goal scorer. You know, he just isn't there. You, you hope that somehow he's able to harness that high end skill set. And certainly you'd like to see a little bit more on the back end from Ryan Pollock. He's only got three points in 11 games, but Noah Dobson has been fantastic. You know, I, I think there is, there is talent, there is ability in that Islanders team, but they are too reliant on their goal. And to your point, outside of Barzell, there really isn't a lot of speed, not a lot of quickness on that team. So 
you know, are they a playoff team? I don't know. I think they're kind of sort of going to be in the same position they were last season where they're in a dogfight for one of those, oh, goody. you know, wild card spots. And look, we see it all the time. You saw it last year. The Florida Panthers barely got into the playoffs. They ended up in the Stanley Cup final. No, you're right. And, so, I, and the Islanders are built for the playoffs. If they can get into the right. playoffs, they're built. They have four lines. They have that fourth line. Uh, this will be the last time they're actually going to play together. I don't th- I don't, th- I don't see Ma- Matty Martin coming back. Sizikis is under contract. Clutterbuck, I think, is – I think this is his last year. He's like 37, too. Like, yeah, I think, Cal, I, I think this is Cal's last year as a New York Islander. I, I think uh, this team is old. Uh, they've – been one of the oldest teams in the NHL. There is no youth really on this. See, I know you have Barzell, you have Dobson, you have some kind of youth, but this is an older team, and they don't draft first-round draft picks. Thank you, Sweet Lou, who seems to trade them off for players. Uh, Pajot should have been traded in the offseason. I'm sorry. I, I just think that third line's been one of the th- worst third lines in the NHL. Andrews Lee has had how many goals? I'm sorry. Uh, one. one. I mean, seriously, in nine games, you have your captain, who's making, what, $8.5 million, only has one goal. I, I just – there's not – it's not enough offense. This is the worst – Probably the first or, what is it, second worst offensive team in the NHL. You're not going to win that way, my friend. No, and, and they obviously they need to produce more. You can't just go in and, and, and need your goalies to get a shutout every night. You need to score. And the Islanders, it's, it's been a perennial struggle for them to put points on the board. You know, they're averaging 2.6 goals a game in today's hockey. That's not going to do it for you. It's just, it just isn't. Even if your goalies are as great as Varlamov and Sorokin have played, they need support. So somewhere, somebody's got to pick up the mantle and, and get going. You know, obviously Barzell's getting, has a very high salary. Horvat <sighs> has a high salary. You mentioned Andersley. Those guys need to get going and to be the big producers they're being paid to be. If they can do it and if they can get in the playoffs, they could be a dangerous team. But I think it's going to be an 82 game grind to see if they're able to get there or not. Goody, goody, gumdrop. All right, my last question, speaking of old teams, uh, the Penguins and the Capitals, both old teams as well. <sighs> if they keep struggling this season, do you see any shot of them potentially trading their franchise icon players? You mean, would the Penguins entertain trading Sidney Crosby? Any one of their the core Capitals three or the Capitals with Ovechkin, would, would you, you think any of them would consider that? No, no, there, there's there's no chance. I Well, I'll say this. The, the owner of the Washington Capitals has, has multiple times gone on record and said Alex Ovechkin will never wear an NHL jersey other than the Washington Capitals. So I, I think that sort of answers that question right there. And, and I think you could say the same thing about Sidney Crosby. He's, he is the franchise in Pittsburgh. You know, they didn't sign him, sign Malkin, sign Latang, and trade for Eric Carlson to now suddenly blow it up 11 games into the season. They need more guys to step up to support them. I mean, look, you know, Sidney Crosby and, and, and Malkin and those guys obviously have more games behind them. Than they do ahead of them. Like that's just, you can, you, you just look on the, on the, the birth certificate and you know that, but those guys are still pretty damn good players. Mm. You know, Crosby's still averaging a point a game. Malkin's still averaging more than a point a game. They need more than that though. They need more from Jake Gunsel. They need more from Riley Smith. They need more from Brian Rust. They certainly need more from Chris Letang. They need more from, you know, guys like Lars Eller and Ricard Raquel, who doesn't have a goal in 11 games and is is getting paid to be a goal scorer. So, you know, they've already tried a few things. They made Jeff Carter a healthy scratch a couple of times. 
Now they have some issues in goal. Tristan Jarry's hurt. So we're not sure, you know, how long he might be out. So that's a Penguins team that, that it's going to struggle much like the New York Islanders. It's going to be an 82 grind, 82 game grind to see if they're good enough to get in the playoffs. I said before the season, I didn't really see them addressing the things that they needed to address, which was to get younger and get quicker. Eric Carlson gave them neither of those things, maybe made them a little quicker, certainly didn't make them any younger. And you already had a number one left shot defenseman. Now you just added another one who is a puck dominant left shot defenseman. So I I didn't really see the Eric Carlson move. You know, would it help their power play? I guess maybe, but five on five, it wasn't really something that they needed. They need to get young. Riley Smith, I think, had a chance to be more of an impactful player for the Penguins than Eric Carlson did in my book. And he has been. He's got 11 points in 11 games. But I I see them as an older team, a slower team, and a team that's very disappointing in goal. I I think they could have done other things at the position during the offseason that didn't include giving Tristan Jarry a five-year contract. (laughs) So they are where they are because of some decisions at that position that I don't think – I would have made it had I been in that position, but you know, it's, it's, if Jerry can be healthy, he's been to an all-star game. So he knows how to play the position. He knows how to play it well, but health continues to be an issue for him. And he's going to be out again. Um, He got bumped in the head. And then when he was going down, he got hit in the face with a shot, bloodied him up a little bit through his mask. So we'll see how long he's out. But again, if he's not going to be available for them, they're going to have some issues there in Pittsburgh. You were mentioning when, when are you going to get hired as a GM? How's that? <laughs> I mean, uh, I think I'm about as qualified to be where I am right now. That's a little bit above my pay. Grade. Oh, stop Adam. I mean, you, you know, every single player in this league, you know, their strengths and their weaknesses. Stop, stop not giving yourself any credit. Hey, I don't want a spot available. Maybe they'll go for you. <laughs> yes. I, I just yeah, because you I, never yeah. played in the NHL doesn't mean you can't be a GM. You know? No, but I would, if I was advising a team, I would advise them to look elsewhere. (laughs) Oh, Adam. Anyways, uh, we really appreciate the time as always. We'll get you on very, very soon. We won't have to wait a year, okay? But but as the season moves forward, um, as the season gets closer to the playoffs, we'd love to get you on and, and ask you for your opinion on who you think could be a Stanley Cup contender. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Adam Kimmelman, NHL.com's deputy managing editor, host of NHL Draft Class podcast. And by the way, uh, a guy that says that uh, the NHL lottery is not fake. No conspiracy theories. There he goes. There you go, all you uh, lottery conspiracy Mm. theorists. Mm. I, uh, you know, I don't know what that's. I mean, the NBA, I've been watching the NBA a long time. You sit there, and I'm trying to figure that out and how it I don't works. know if Adam's just conspiring cons- against the NBA. How does NBA? the Knicks? They've the been NHL. one of the – the Knicks have been such a bad team for years, and they never get the number one pick. They're always the – I remember at one point, they, at, I think back-to-back years, they were the, the first and the second worst team in the, in the NBA, and they got the fourth pick and the third pick. I mean, what are the chances, okay? Is it bad luck, or maybe the NBA just hates on the Knicks? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, can't, I, I, I can't comment on how the NBA does their thing, but I, I will say <laughs> there were years where the where, where the Edmonton Oilers had the worst record, and they or, I'm sorry, the 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 Philadelphia Flyers had the worst record. They didn't get the number one pick mm. twice. Mm. They ended up with number two, 
instead of getting uh, Nico Heischer and Patrick Kane, they ended up with James Van Riemsdyk and Nolan Patrick. That's oh, yeah. That's so, you know, and, and there are no conspiracy theories. That's why, you know, you can, you can find the video on NHL.com, on YouTube, of the way the lottery balls are drawn. You can. So it answers Gary, all, all of Gary, your Gary Bettman, please hire this guy as your assistant. I mean, seriously, he is vouching for you guys as always. But Adam, we really appreciate you. Thank you, man, and keep up the good work. Thanks, anytime, guys. Adam Kimmel. No, oh. Jeff, he's not a New Yorker. He said he said he was bring up the Philadelphia Flyers. And by the way, you're complaining we didn't ask your Bruins questions. Errol, the second question Errol asked was about the Bruins. It was all about the Bruins. It, he spoke very Just highly. We didn't of the speak Bruins. about Poitras. Does that mean uh, we didn't did, we we forgot about the Bruins? He spoke very highly of the Boston Bruins, and he, and I I agree. I I thought the Bruins were going to be the number one team in their division yeah, this you're year. Good. I did. I I I still think they're that good. I I they have great goaltending, and I think. All around, they're they're a talented team. They have uh, some of the best defensive young players in the league. So, uh, and and their four lines are pretty damn good. So, uh, yeah, we will get into the Michigan's latest crap with Jim Harbaugh uh, tomorrow. That'll be the first segment we get into because there's a lot to get into and we don't have the time to talk about it. So we'll we'll talk about it tomorrow. But uh, yeah, we'll get into the whole Michigan thing uh, early in the show tomorrow. Uh, thank you to, obviously, Forever Blue Shirts writer and on-air talent, Stephen Pappas, for joining us. He was fantastic. And NHL.com deputy, deputy uh, managing editor and host of NHL Draft Class uh, podcast, Adam Kimmel. He was fantastic, too. Uh, it was a hockey guest night. Uh, tomorrow, who do we have, Speedy? So, at 9 o'clock, Keith Bullock, who was supposed to be on a couple of weeks ago, will be coming. Put him up. Put putting, him up. Putting on. Uh, the Titans played Thursday, so he couldn't come on last week. But yes. uh, he said he's on this week. And then 9.30, uh, hopefully he is uh, pipes are doing well at his house. Chris Childs will be coming back. If on. I only have a brain, do you have a brain, Speedy? I do. Okay. I, 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 don't, I don't know if Zach Wilson has a brain, wow. but he doesn't have a heart either. <laughs> let me tell you, he has no heart and no brain. No, he has a heart. He just his heart just goes for uh, his mother's friends. That's right, and older women. I mean, he's da- did you see the girlfriend that he's dating right now? No, she's, I have not. She's pretty hot, young blonde girl. I. <laughs> <laughs> the only, the only, the only thing he has accuracy for, I guess. Oh well, I don't know if he has accurate accuracy for that either. <laughs> uh, hole in one. I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, I don't know. If Zach Wilson tried to shoot a hole in one. He still might miss. No, I don't know what uh, hole in one you've actually hit, but that's that's just a whole other story. Anyways, great show. Thank you to all the fans out there. Thank you to all. The people that listen to us throughout the week on all our shows, all you have to do is go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. If you miss any of the shows, go to Apple Podcasts, uh, Worldwide Sports Radio uh, Network. We have our own podcast on Apple and Spotify, and we have our own uh, podcast now on uh, Podpeen, Apple Podcast, uh, Spotify. All you have to do is go to The Sports Loudmouth. And you can listen to any of the shows that you missed, all the great guests that we've interviewed throughout the last couple of weeks. And we have over 7,000 downloads in the last past month on our first um, activation of our Apple podcast uh, for the Sports Lab Mouth. So thank you to all the fans that tune in, whatever you've missed, and all the, fan, all the new fans that are tuning in and listening to our show. We really appreciate you guys and continue listening to us because we will entertain you throughout the weeks. But anyways, uh, we will be back tomorrow. 
at 7 o'clock. Until then, this is Errol Mark, Speedy Petey, and our friend Tommy over here helping us out as well. And we will say good night, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Good night, everybody. Oh, I like this. Look at that. Good night. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.